and welcome back to the Portsmouth Running Podcast. Uh, as always, I am your host, Daniel Del Piccolo, uh, but sadly today your solo host because David Harvey cannot join us, um, but he promises that he will be back on the next show. Uh, he's probably either out long running or partying at Victorious Festival, like I'm sure many of you listeners out there have been doing this weekend. Uh, and I'm almost pretty certain there'll be a lot less long running happening this weekend, almost certainly. So before I go into what we've got coming up on this episode, um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to tell the listeners out there about the Portsmouth Running Podcast video channel on YouTube, where Dave and I will be adding to the normal podcasts by bringing you some sometimes fun, sometimes semi-serious kind of running content all via video. So please do head on over to the YouTube channel, find the Portsmouth Running Podcast on there, and if you can, please click the subscribe button And after that, just enjoy the content. So I'm going to keep the introduction really short this week uh, before we head on over to our segment and main interview for the week. Um, But I wanted to start by saying that for those who don't know, it has been UTMB week in Chamonix, France, uh, which has been really mega exciting. Plenty of great races have been going on all week. uh, And if you've not checked out UTMB or don't know much about it, I highly recommend doing so. Uh, This week's episode has ties to UTMB and France, with our main featured guest being the amazingly colourful local runner who is currently living in France, but due back over the coming weeks, uh, Zoe Daligolt. And Zoe shares a really eventful and extremely powerful running story, which includes her taking part in bodybuilding contests, to running a 305 paced marathon, to racing across the desert with the special forces, uh, and many other things too. Now, running has been one of those old and constant friends through through Zoe's life, as she describes in the interview, um, and she's relied uh, upon that friend many, many times. Zoe's story was extremely brave in a lot of parts, uh, and I was just really honoured to have her onto the show um, as our first international yet local guest. But before we head on over to listen to the interview with Zoe, uh, we'll be speaking to our special overseas UTMB correspondent, probably otherwise summarised as just our mate Stuart Leeson, who's been in Chamonix all week long watching the races. Now, it was extremely kind of uh, Stuart to come on because we literally sprung this upon him last minute. Uh, He was over in Chamonix enjoying probably more of like a running type holiday because he's not taking part in any of the races this year. Um, He has done previously many times, but Stuart kindly came on to give us a description of what was happening in Chamonix, what the mood was like, um, especially what it was like with all the COVID restrictions in place. So we'll be hearing from Stuart all about Chamonix uh, and what's going on at UTMB. But to start with, uh, there's a story which is really personal to me uh, and something that I'm really pleased and and actually extremely excited about to to share with you all. Um, Now, I've got to kind of set the tone of the story before I explain who my guest is. Um, And it all starts back in 2019 when I went over to Chamonix to take part in the CCC, which is one of the races during UTMB week. And I had been running for about 50 kilometers and had stopped at an aid station in Switzerland called Champalac. I was running with my good friend Colin Reynolds, who has been a guest on this show, I think over the first five episodes. I can't remember exactly which episode it was. A A cracking, cracking interview. I highly recommend people go and listen to that. Anyhow, Colin and I had gone over to Chamonix to race in the CCC. Um, as I said, we'd been having quite a good day, um, done a couple of the climbs already, and there's five major climbs you have to do during the race. And I, after 50k, just had a complete and utter meltdown. 
Um, I was feeling really sick, really tired. My legs just couldn't handle any more climbing. Um, and I was literally ready to throw in the towel. So we'd stopped at this really busy aid station. There was plenty of tables about. There was a hustle and bustle of people, runners coming in all the time. There was an announcer saying things. There was uh, a table of food that you could get loads of um, stuff on. It was, it was quite a busy kind of tent, or quite a large tent as well. And I remember saying to Colin, look, just press on. Um, I cannot continue. I've, I've had it. Um, I gave him some of the stuff I, was, I had on me that he, he was going to use himself. And he literally, after a, a while of being really worried about me, I just said, look, just go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the bus home. So with that, I put my head down on a table. And, and this is where the remarkable story starts, really. So uh, a few months prior to this, I had been asked by Hoka Oneone to, to join the Hoka Racer program. Um, which I'd obviously accepted. Um, I hadn't quite fully yet been integrated into the team. Um, however, I remember sitting up from this table and just seeing the large Hoka Oneone label next to me. Um, and there was somebody wearing a massive blue, um, kind of like a bright blue top with Hoka Oneone. And this guy was wearing a cap with Hoka as well, had a bag with Hoka. And I remember just kind of looking at him with, with you know, kind of squinty eyes and just feeling a bit, bit naff and, and got chatting to him. Um, and his name was Joseph Sibal, and Joseph was there crewing for a load of runners um, who had come over from uh, Malaysia and the Philippines, and and he had basically got a bag with him, so he'd had he basically had all the, the crew kit on him, uh, and Joseph kind of spoke to me uh, and said there was no way that he was going to let me throw in the towel, and I was thinking at the time, yeah, right, I literally cannot stomach anything, I can't drink water, I don't want anything to eat, and Joseph just said, just stay there, don't go and hand your number in yet, I'm going to come back with some food. So he went off, he got some food, came back, I couldn't, couldn't believe this, I mean, just absolutely kindless and just, uh, yeah, just, you know, never experienced any, anything like that in a race before. I mean, runners are normally really kind, but this was just, you know, going out of his way. This is, you know, I'm a complete stranger to him, probably didn't smell very good at the time um, and wasn't very happy, but he came back with a, a bowl of soup, I had that. Joseph then starts rummaging around his bags and he gets me out a, a plastic bag, fills it with rice. Um, some sausages with some really nice sauce um, and he just basically forced me to eat the food uh, while talking to me and uh, you know I went on to finish that race purely from uh, that moment from from speaking to, to, to Joseph and and obviously have had I'd had a little bit of rest as well since Colin had left so that kind of made me feel a bit better but it was all kind of up to Joseph uh, that I basically walked out of that aid station and finished the CCC which really did just turn turn my race around because I was literally ready to finish uh, and I've kept in touch with Joseph. Uh, I found him on Facebook, added, added him as a friend uh, a couple of years ago. And I just thought, you know what, with UTMB back this year uh, and with it being UTMB week, uh, I got in touch with Joseph and asked him if he would join me on the show to have a chat with me. And it's the first time that we've actually got to speak to each other voice to voice. Um, so we had a, a, an amazing video chat together over WebEx. And, and I'd really like to share that story with you because I think it's just kind of shows how kind people can be to, to each other. You know, two humans uh, who don't know each other, uh, just, you know, having that experience and having such an impact on, on each other's lives. So it was fantastic. And Joseph's such a humble runner himself. He's an ultra runner himself. He's done UTMB a few times. Uh, and yeah, it was just fabulous to kind of touch base with, with him again. And uh, yeah, I'd love to share that story. So we're going to head on over and start with that. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. It's really kind of heartwarming and, and quite special. And what I do have to say first is that Joseph asked me to just let and remind you that his English is not his first language. Um, and, you know, it, the interview, he spoke perfectly fine. So you should be able to understand everything. But yeah, just wanted to kind of let you know. So 
I'm going to head on over there now and we'll lead straight into uh, Stuart Leeson's take on UTMB after that. Uh, and then we'll finish uh, with our main featured guest interview with Zoe Daly-Galt. So thank you for, for tuning in, everyone. Thank you for listening and supporting the show. Uh, and yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. Happy running, everyone. Take care. Joseph Sabal, welcome to the Portsmouth Running Podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time uh, out of your late evening to join us. Uh, how are you keeping? Yeah, um, thank you for uh, inviting me here, Daniel. It's an honor and privilege to uh, be part of this um, interview. Brilliant. I'm doing fine anyway. Excellent. And you know what? It's um, The honor and privilege is all mine, Joseph, because um, this story is all about how you um, helped me through my through my race back in 2019. So I'm so grateful that you've taken the time and agreed to come onto the show. So thank you so much as well. Um, now, now, Joseph, because it's UTMB week, um, I thought it would be good to discuss the topic um, of how, I guess, humans who don't know each other, strangers, um, runners, competitors during these races all help each other through these events. Um, because you really did save my race that day. And I know you always say to me, uh, Daniel, you did the work. It's all you. But I don't think that's that's all, all the truth, really. Um, I know I did the running, but uh, you really helped pull me through that race. So uh, I would love to chat to you um, about UTMB that year and also just say a big thank you uh, for helping me two years ago in, in Switzerland. And also to ask you your memories of that night, what you, what you remember as well. Um, but before we do that, um, I was going to ask you, Joseph, you're, you are a long distance runner yourself? Yeah, I did uh, running uh, 100 miles before. I even joined Tordi Giants, but uh, I DNF some somewhere around 100 kilometers due to stomach problems. And uh, um, prior to that, I did a couple of hundred uh, miles uh, road runs. Okay, and you finished those ones, yeah? Yeah. Brilliant. Some Excellent. finish, some DNFs. Okay, all right. Okay, so you've had you've had your own troubles with with the long distance uh, running as well, yeah. Okay. Um, and you're also a Hoka One One ambassador over in the Philippines. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I'm an ambassador and athlete at the same time in Philippines. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. And you know, for me, that makes the story uh, even more incredible because um, just a month before I went to uh, Chamonix for, for the CCC in 2019, uh, Hoka One One had uh, invited me to join the, the Hoka Racer program. So um, I too felt like I was kind of becoming a part of the, the Hoka One One family. So when it turned out that you helped me in my race, it was just like, wow, this is like a, an amazing coming together of, uh, of Hoka One One. You know, humans of Hoka, I guess, is, a good, is the good tagline to use for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it was really good. Um, so Joseph, I've got, I've got to ask you first, because we're, we're both Hoka fans and, and obviously part of the Hoka family. Uh, what are your favorite current hokers? Um, have you tried the Clifton Eights or the or the new Zenal yet? Uh, um, this I, I still love the Speed Goat, especially um, on trails. It's very smooth. It's very mm. um, it's very good, uh, especially on downhills. Yeah. Um, the roads about the roads. I tried um, Clifton Four and. Um, 
Carbon X. Yeah. Ah, yes, Those Carbon X. Yeah. That's a good shoe. That's a very, very good shoe. I use yeah. the um currently I use the 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 Hoka Rocket X for the for the roads and also the the Carbon X2. I, I really enjoy on the roads at the moment. Yeah. Very fun shoes. Really, really cushioned. Yeah, so it's 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 th those two shoes are, are absolutely fantastic. So, um, Joseph, I've, I've got to ask you a question, if if it's okay, maybe for the people who are listening to the show, um, what do you say to people when they ask you, um, what is UTMB like? How do you how do you respond to that question? Um, UTMB is um, one of the best incredible race for um, adventure runners or for uh, wonderful peeps that are uh, looking for some uh, excitement, new route, new weather, even the, the food is very different. Oh, because yeah. coming from a tropical country, it's, we used to eat rice and soup. So it's very different. Uh, race and very challenging also okay. because we don't have a uh, 3000 plus meters of mountains here we only have uh, less than two uh, above 2000 so okay it's very difficult so the, and the so, weather as well yeah so lots of challenges for you so so food wise dr drink wise i guess it's it's a it's yeah. a major change for you to to fly over to utmb you've got you've got the weather differences the um, the food, the nutrition, all the different options at the aid stations, very, very different food, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. How many times have you been to UTMB week? I've I been to Chamuni for three times and um, two times joining UTMB. Mm -hmm. The first is uh, uh, 2017, which I failed. I DNF for uh, the reason of um, I, I felt that nobody, uh, the cheering or someone to talk to you during those difficult times is a uh, very um, plays a crucial game in the game. Okay. Part. Because uh, even though I have lots of buffer time, um, sometimes negative thoughts um, and different uh, things yeah. suddenly pop up. On your mind oh so, no that's such a shame it's uh yeah, you know? yeah. wow so you've been three times um and then you... i finish it uh sorry and then i finish it uh last 2018 and i did uh, my proposal to my girlfriend and my wife at the same time ah oh, amazing so you finished yeah. um U utmb yeah the full the full hundred yeah no wow. the the full course the utmb yeah, amazing. That's great. That's that's really good. So you so you went back and finished, and then obviously in in two thousand and nineteen, um, I've told the listeners already what happened. Um, you were not racing that that year. You were just crewing for other people. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you were helping. Um, helping I have others. a friend from Singapore. His name is Wei Yong. Yep. And um, I promise. I made the promise to them that. When the time that's that they're gonna join any UTMB event, I will try to to go there and aid them because I know the feeling coming from Asia's <laughs> Asian Asian country that 
rice is a big factor, especially in our running. So okay. it's part on it's part of our nutrition. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So you training, you're tra obviously training with rice a lot, and you need this yeah. to be to be in the race. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, this this is amazing because it's it's all now making more sense to me because. Um, can you remember when you first saw me at Champelac? Can you remember sitting on the table with me? Yeah, I'm. Uh, at that night, um, I'm. I'm aiding my friend Wei Yong. That's right. And, uh, yeah, and I, I'm giving him some sausage that night. I think it's a mushroom soup and uh, a rice, uh, a bowl of rice. Yeah. So. Typically for a runner, you only just eat a small portion. So I uh, prepared a lot, a lot of um, rice meals. So when I saw you sitting next to him and wearing at the same time hoka apparel, and I, I, I thought that during my time I was down and nobody's um, talking to me or cheering me or giving me positive insights or I, you can still make it because you have a lot of buffer time. So yeah. I tried to talk and offer some food at first. I, 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 I asked you if you like to, to, if you want some sausage. And then sure. at first you hesitated because you don't know me. And then after a while, we, we got this uh, warm uh, spare and lace and okay i'll try the sausage and then everything's uh magical that night that you really love the sausage and you even ask for an extra one then <laughs> ask, yeah so amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, while you're eating i i told you you can still make it you're uh, still fresh you're i think you're only tired you should eat whenever you feel hungry or you if you're tired just sit and relax and calm and go on because that's uh the challenge of trail running sometimes yeah. uh, our mind is occupied by the the thoughts of give up or yeah. our inner demons that telling us we, we, you can do this anymore you're all exhausted you're fatigued Nobody care if you finish our DNF. So just uh, just uh, as, 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 as an audience or a crew or someone or anyone that I saw that needing my help, I offered uh, a simple kind of gesture to other people that's like amazing. you, a Hoka family. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you know, that's exactly how I, I remember the, the moment for me. I remember picking my head up and seeing uh, your your big blue jacket with hoka all over yeah. it and, and the hoka cap hoka, hoka bag and yeah. I it was like it was like a big shining light from from the heavens <laughs> come down like oh so I, so I remember speaking to you a little bit I didn't want to eat any food but you also I don't know if you remember you also got up and went and got me some soup from the from yeah. the aid station as well you, I yeah. remember you came back and you know what? You were just very, very attentive to me. You were very, um, very positive, giving me all the right advice to eat. Um, and and honestly, I remember those sausages. They were so good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was in that sauce, but it was it was delicious. And also, you 
you gave me a bag to to take away with you you gave me a something to take with me in my in my pouch which i could use at the aid stations that were coming and i did i used those all the way to the end yeah. it was amazing i hope you didn't take uh, give me some other runners food <laughs> just in case no. <laughs> no 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 you had plenty plenty of supply of supplies yeah, yeah. i get plenty of uh, supply that's amazing that's amazing listen i you know i went on to finish the race in under 24 hours which is which is what i wanted um it wasn't it wasn't a fast run for me it was uh it was very difficult to to get through the last three mountains but um you know i owe that to you and and the food you gave me and the lessons you, you taught me um and each time i now go into a race um all my thoughts all go back to that moment when when you know you kind of helped me and i realized that you know just a little bit of rest and some food can really change your race no matter how bad you're feeling just put your head down for 10 minutes eat some food and things can really really change just walk out the aid station and don't don't think about you know get those bad thoughts that you that you spoke about out of your head so so thank yeah. you so much for that i really appreciate it joseph it's been it's been lovely to to speak what's next for you what race have you got coming up next i uh, i joined up UTA the Australia Ultra Trail Australia but suddenly the, there's this uh, pandemic so yeah. I need to move my schedule and uh, try some local uh, races and okay. uh, no no outside the country for us because the protocols and restriction is, here is very difficult okay so, Yeah, I Maybe next year I'll try to join the Tordi Giants again to to uh, beat the <laughs> the giant. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, <laughs> yeah. listen, if if I ever have the opportunity to to come to your city in in the Philippines, there, um, it would be lovely. You're very much welcome. It'd be Let lovely to join you. Tell, yeah, just tell me, bro. Everything is. I'll set everything, bro. You're you're like a king here. <laughs> I provide uh, I provide car even the lodging so don't worry yes oh, jo Joseph you you better be careful what you what you promise hey eh? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to suddenly No I'm serious up. I'm serious yeah <laughs> That's <laughs> super that's super kind of you Joseph and obviously the same the same goes for you as well if you're ever in the UK racing in the future please I would love to connect with you and uh, and and share some runs and stuff with you as well so Joseph listen thank you so much for coming onto the show and, and kind of sharing the story with me because um like I said earlier it's it's a really good example um where people help people and strangers become friends um and runners can exchange ideas and share knowledge about how to get better and and proceed through through a race during very dark times so I'm pleased that we kept in touch um and yeah you just showed incredible kindness and humanity when i was really at my lowest point and uh, i hope to pass that on as well to to other runners um in the future so thank you again joseph all the best um i hope you have a lovely weekend take care thank you so much and god bless you cheers you too bye bye i am pleased to say that we're live yet also kind of pre-recorded of course because it's obviously the show and the podcast but from Chamonix with our special guest our UTMB correspondent Stuart Leeson. Hello Stuart how are you doing man? Yeah good. You, you kind of picked me up there that was uh, that was good thank you. <laughs> well it's it's kind of like an official um kind of bit of pressure now on you because I'm I bet you didn't realize that you'd be the international UTMB correspondent for the podcast earlier this week. 
No, I didn't. I, I had a call from uh, Dave on, I think it was Saturday, but it's just gone, uh, yep. asking me if I'd be prepared to do it. But yeah, more than happy. I say, as we said before, I've been here a few times, raced Brilliant. here a few times, not racing this year. Weird circumstances, but yeah. uh, Chamonix is very much the same Chamonix that uh, everybody's come to know and love that's been here. Brilliant, brilliant. And also fair to say that, Dave, we've got you online as well. So there's a, it's a three-way conversation here. And Dave, thanks so much because it was such a brilliant idea to get Stuart on and um, kind of be, yeah. be somebody we can talk to live from, from Chamonix. So, so Dave, great that you could join us as well. But listen, Stuart, I was going to ask oh, you very quickly before Dave and I throw some questions your way. Um, it's really exciting you've made it over to Chamonix. Um, how were all the travel and kind of like COVID-related restrictions um, uh how did that kind of all go with the travel and and has it affected chamonix compared to previous years does it seem as busy so i traveled to cyprus actually in may so i had a little bit of experience of having to fit you know to do the research and fill in all the paperwork and i have to say this time it was much busier at heathrow uh when we left um there was a little bit less paperwork to do this time but okay. basically it's now that the covid app has been uh, sorry, the NHS app has been sort of adapted to be the sort of the passport, you know, the, the vaccine passport. Obviously, that's one of the things that they're very hot on in France. And to go into any restaurant, you need to have a, um, they call, I think they call it a pass sanitaire in France, but you can use the NHS app for it. Okay. Um, but the travel was, was pretty good. There was, you know, there's forms to fill in. Um, but generally speaking, it all went pretty smoothly. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously a little bit of disruption from, from having to do that but you know it's not not in the overall scheme of things it's no big brilliant and, and the yeah. chamonix is busy this year as it, as it has been in previous years well so we arrived uh, uh we arrived yesterday and in the sort of walking around the town in the afternoon and in the evening it seemed very busy you know all the restaurants were full the place you know the place looked sort of normally busy who I know in uh, Moody's from years before. Moody's is a coffee shop. Um, and a lot of the international runners go through there. Um, a lot of the American runners go through there. And obviously Ian's local. And he said that the official numbers for Chamonix for this week are expected to be 25% down on a, on a normal week, okay. UTMB week. Um, but it still feels quite busy. But then I went to the expo earlier and that seemed sort of fairly quiet. But okay. having said that, the expo tends to be sort of busy around when they get the, you know, the top runners in to do, you know, signings and stuff. So it might just be that, you know, there wasn't anybody of note that was there doing that at the time. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Now, listen, on to the running. Uh, Dave, your your vertical kilometre you did when you were out in uh, in Chamonix in 2019, I think, if I've got if I've got the year right, um, was under threat yeah. today. Um, how are you feeling about, about what Stuart's about to reveal whether he's taken well, a spot on the Strava segment. Well, I, I already know what's happened and I'm shocked and stunned. Um, I'm obviously emotional and upset by what has happened this morning. Um, but, <laughs> you know, congratulations to Stuart. But I must add that I did it as I did it the day after a six hour run and at the start of another six hour run. So, you know, I'm just going to put that in there. <laughs> excuses, Dave, excuses. So, 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 Stuart, you did this VK. Can you explain to people, like, I guess what a VK is and, and just in case they don't know? Yeah. So the VK is a vertical kilometer, which I think is a, a race series. I don't know if it's a race series in its own right. I think it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a load of, vertical kilometer races um across the world 
and basically it's it's a race whereby you you basically just do a thousand meters of vertical gain so it can be over a variety of distances but i think chamonix is the shortest one in the world i'm not entirely sure there might be steeper ones not surprised um, but i think the actual i think the route's 1.4 miles sorry i do miles so what's that a couple of kilometers maybe yeah a couple of um, kilometers, yeah. but it gains a yeah so it gains um it gains a thousand um meters over okay. that 1.4 miles and it starts at the bottom of the plan perhaps cable car and basically just goes up underneath it in fact and it's just basically just switchbacks but towards the top it gets very steep very technical uh, and i was saying to dave earlier when we've done it in the past um you know we, we've done it um yeah, you basically it's just open to the public. It's actually a race series, but obviously it's a Strava segment as well. But there are signs up saying that it's dangerous and technical <laughs> for yeah, this year. For sure. um, so yeah. there's signs as those signs are new. It also says obviously just be careful, I think, on Strava of the weather conditions. Um, but today's been really nice. It was quite cool this morning. It's sunny. Um, it gets the sun in the morning, so it was quite warm. But um, yeah. but yeah, it's just a very, very steep, very technical um run. Okay. This sounds, is, sounds this like a Second on, time you've done it. Oh, I was going to say, it's the second time you've done it as well, Stuart, isn't it? So you kind of knew what was coming up. But I've got to say... It's, that actually, it's actually the third time I've done it. So I did it on my own in some pretty bad weather, which probably wasn't the best idea. Um, I also did it with um, with Heather um, in 2019. I think we went up, we just sort of did a leisurely or relatively leisurely climb up. Um, but this morning I was making an effort. So it was kind of uh, the first time I suppose that I've sort of made a, a conscious effort to sort of try and get a good time, but my legs were like jelly by the time I got to the top. Was it was it as bad as you remember it? Because I remember when I did it, I literally had to wipe the feces off of my legs <laughs> and when I got to the top because I was absolutely terrified. Um yeah, I think the thing, because I was making an effort, I was trying to get to the top as quickly as possible. Um, I didn't pay quite so much attention to uh, some of the potentially fatal falls that you could have, if you could have had <laughs> if you've slipped. Um, but I think that because I decided to come down on the cable car uh, rather than run down. My original plan was to run down, but I decided in the end I'll take the cable car down. Um, just because I didn't want to ruin my legs too much um, on the first day here and then ruin the rest of the trip. And it's from the from the cable car coming down. You can just see how sketchy some of the some of the route is. Wow. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really giving it too much thought at the time. I was just sort of concentrating on trying to get to the top. Yeah, and you know, beat your time, obviously, which is important. <laughs> Dave, Dave, listen, Dave and Stuart, I've got to I've got to mention here. I think you know you said earlier about these routes being dangerous, and I think it's it's only kind of fair to add into this podcast that you know our our thoughts and and prayers go out to the the family and friends and obviously the other runners who may have may have been involved or, or seen what gone on uh in one of the races tds uh this week so obviously a czechoslovakian runner lost his life um, on one of the climbs and it just goes to show kind of just how dangerous these these routes are and it really kind of brings it back to back to reality about you know what it is people are, are taking part in when they do these races so so yeah thoughts and prayers go out to to czechoslovakia and all the runners runners there who may have been involved and, and seen stuff but yeah, um, Dave, you know, I don't know if you want to add on onto that or Stuart, you want to add anything onto the onto the end of that. But um, if not, I think what we'll do is we'll perhaps maybe um, each go into a couple of questions for you about Chamonix to maybe give listeners an idea of, um, of what's going on there. So, so Dave, yeah. I don't know whether you want to add anything else and, and begin with the questions. 
Well, I, yeah, I guess on the 2DS thing, it just kind of hits home, really, that um, I guess ultra-distance events and one uh, are pretty risky anyway, and there's always that kind of mandatory kit list that people moan about. But then there's kind of ultra-events in the mountains that just take it up to the next level. Now, whenever I've done mountain races, it's always been pretty decent weather. But I know from other people, like, you know, when the weather comes in or if they're on difficult terrain, it is really, really sketchy. Yeah. So you just kind of hate about having the right gear and paying paying attention. And, you know, it's, it's down to stuff like having a decent head torch, isn't it? So that when you're going over something that looks pretty dodgy, that you've got that kind of uh, sight to make, you, make sure that you go forward and you put your foot in the right place, really. Yeah, good point, good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just add to that because I saw uh, Hilary Allen. Uh, she was in Moody's this morning. I think she's a bit of a regular in their sort of UTMB week. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what happened to her, but she, she fell on, I think, on one of the, uh, in Norway, I think, a race, one of the Sky Running Series races. She fell about 150 foot um, down a um, quite a steep slope. And I think she broke a lot of bones. Um, yes. She, I think she injured her back. She broke some ribs. I think she broke broke a foot or her feet, and she suffered some pretty horrific injuries. Um, and I think it just seeing her this morning just sort of reminded me that you know the the risk of these mountain, you know, the probability of something happening is still very low in an ultra. But I think the risk is that in the mountains, that if something does happen, you know, the consequences can be very significant and very serious. Um, and I think that's the difference. But I also think that that's probably accepted by a lot of the runners that have experienced the mountains. And I think that they, you know, everybody that's trained for a mountain ultra, you know, is aware that, of the risks that they're taking. Um, but obviously also accepting that the probability of something that happening is quite low. Um, yeah. But like Dave says, you know, it's just being as prepared as possible um, and just, you know, relying on the, you know, the safety crews and the teams that are out here, you know, the professionals that, that are there to help people if, if they do get into trouble. So, and I, and I think the team, the UTMG, UTMB team, uh, I think the reason they stopped the race is because the safety crews were obviously were attending the, the accident mm -hmm. and obviously weren't then there to, you know, look after the rest of the field. So, you know, it makes perfect sense, I think, for the race to have been stopped, yeah, um, you know, not just because of the issue, but also from a safety of the other runners um you know so but but you know that's it, it's really unfortunate but it, you know there is risk in these races and i don't think that should be underestimated yeah yeah absolutely well no. hopefully everyone else gets through their races safely and um and and all the events continue on without without any incidents like that but um no th thanks thanks for your input guys and and um Stuart, maybe what i thought would be a good idea is for you to explain what it's been like um there in the streets of chamonix like obviously um, i've been there myself and i know that there's an expo going on and there's a whole massive area of stalls which are kind of all running related and there's a load of like every kind of running product um you'd want to see are there with their teams from the, from overseas um what, what's it like kind of like being in the streets and seeing the finish and seeing the runners come through can, can you kind of explain it in, in a few sentences just for the listeners yeah, so I mean, it's it's very much a festival atmosphere rather than a race atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so the, the, the centre of the town is, um, you know, there's railings down the side. So although there, there are people sort of milling around, you know, you've got, there's obviously a lot of races happening, but the finishers are generally sort of running through the town. So there's always people clapping. There's always people cheering people on. And that's the sort of theme that runs through the whole week. You know, there's people banging the barriers. So, you know, whenever anyone finishes, 
Um, there's tons of support. There's people everywhere sort of sitting around the restaurants. As you say, there's the expo. Um, everywhere's busy, obviously. Um, the expo is probably a bit smaller this year, I would say. Um, but yeah, you've got a lot of other races um, with stands. They're handing out leaflets, you know, promoting their own races. And it's a, it's a dangerous place for an ultra runner, um, you know, because you see yeah. a lot of races that you might be familiar with, but also other races that maybe not so much. Um, so it really sort of whets the appetite for, you know, taking on new challenges and let you sort of feel that excitement of the potential of other races. Um, and that's all the same this year. You know, you've got Hoka there, um, all the big names, um, Ultra, Garmin, you know, you name it. It's any any sort of brand name, um, you know, in the running world is there. Yeah. Um, so it's really, it's, you know, it's mainly those those. Um, the race providers, uh, the sponsors, and you know the big the big kits. So for an for a runner, it's a great place to be. You know, just to go around and, and meet people. But they do a lot of um, uh, you know uh, they get a lot of the running stars in there and you know signing autographs and you know do um, you know meeting people and chatting with people. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice atmosphere. It's good. Brilliant, excellent, Dave. Any anything you want to ask, Jude? Yeah, I was I was going to say that actually because. Um, when we were over there a couple of years ago, 2019, I think it was. In fact, all three of us were over there, weren't we? I yep. did notice yep. that um, Dan was incredibly good at fanboying and all of the uh, elite runners that were there and got lots of autographs, hung around the hoker stool. Have you seen anyone yet around there? Because I think there's quite there's a, a list of runners doing UTMB and CCC, aren't there? Actually, yeah, I mean the, the the lineup this year is is stunning. I mean the the depth of the field this year is amazing. Um, but I haven't actually seen that many runners. I saw so today, say I saw um, Hilary Allen. I saw Dylan Bowman. Uh, I saw Hayden Hawks. I think finished fifth in the OCC. Um, but yeah, I think I saw Jim Wormsley previously. Tim Tollison. I've seen him not so much this year. Um, yeah, I mean, you see them hanging around town, you know, in the supermarket, just in restaurants. You know, they're all very much, and that's one of the nice things about ultra running, you know, they're all really down to earth. Um, you know, they're all very approachable. Obviously, you don't want to hassle them, but um, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, as I said, it was a good field this year. My money's on Francois, but um, after Hard Rock, especially, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the mountains, it's anybody's race, isn't it? Exactly. I wonder oh, if they get. Oh. Go on, Dave. I can't see anyone beating Francois, can you? No, <laughs> he's too strong. I mean, in the mountains, uh, you know, he's got the experience. He's, you know, he's, he's local to France, obviously. He knows these types of mountains and as strong as some of the other runners are, you know, Tim Tollison, Jim Wormsley, you know, there's some very strong other mountain runners in there. Pau Capel, um, yeah, they're all very good, but could they challenge Francois? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, he said he thinks he could have gone a little bit faster at Hard Rock. I mean, he already set a crazy time. He's already run crazy a crazy time at UTMB. He's got to be the man for the, uh, you know, he's got to be the favourite, isn't he? I think he is, but um, but we'll see. You know, Jim Jim's a strong runner. You know, he's uh, he could put up a good challenge, and like I say, anything can happen. So who yeah. knows? You know, weird weather could could shake things up a bit. I think Jim, I think Jim Wormsley is one of those runners that he, you know, like you say, he just seems to kind of learn with experiences and he, he does crash and burn a little bit and traditionally in, in the past, but once he's nailed something, um, you know, he could, he could come through, but again, I think I, I kind of agree with your, 
with your statement really about France, so I don't think anybody's going to beat him. But we'll see. We'll see. You never know. They, I mean, they've all got good caliber, a lot of those runners. So so you never know what's going to happen. And I think UTMB often throws out some strange results, like the year when Killian got stung by the bee and Jim Wormsley was there, and they all kind of dropped out overnight. And so yeah, I guess anything can happen. Which is yeah, good. and, and it's the other thing I'll add is that the, you know the coverage of the race is you know, it's the best coverage that you'll see of, of any race on the ultra circuit. You know, there's uh, it's you know the streaming online is brilliant. Um, they stream a lot of that to big screens in and around the town, especially around the finish. Yeah, you know, it's really easy to, to keep track of the race and, and sort of feel part of it, which is why I'm quite excited this year to be a spectator rather than um, you know running one of the races. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, gosh, it sounds like an exciting week ahead. And obviously you said you're not racing, so you're going to get to go and enjoy a few beers and a bit of food in the streets while while you see the runners um, coming through. And uh, listen, if you do get a chance to to um, see Jim Wormsley, just tell him, tell him I'm his biggest fan and he needs to come onto the show at some point, yeah? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dave, anything else you want to you you ask Stuart before he heads off? Yeah, I've got a couple of um, really important uh, Chamonix-specific questions. Go on then. Um, so have, have you have you seen that the competition start for the I've got the most gnarly T-shirt yet? So people walking around in their race T-shirts that are further with more mountains and more elevation gain or more miles than the others. Or, and any people that have gone to do the groceries in their full compression gear? <laughs> um, there's a lot of people in their previous year's gilets, you know, finish your gilets, which obviously is a badge of honour around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's important. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always the the t. I haven't seen any Centurion t-shirts yet this year, but I mean, there's normally some of those kicking around. But I mean, I guess they're they're you know they're fairly sort of you know fairly insignificant in the overall scheme of world mountain ultras, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I remember because I was there for a few weeks before, and just before as UCMB week starts, all of the t-shirts come out, don't they? Of like, this is the gnarliest race I've done. And it just made me laugh. And then you literally go to the um, some of the supermarkets and there's people head to toe in compress sport, picking up their cabbages and stuff. And you think, have they just finished a run? Or is that how they they dress full time? I have no idea. It's so hilly out there. Oh, I, think, I think a lot of them just have to dress in compress in compressed gear just to get back home because it's so hilly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to comment on the compressed sports stuff because you know I've got some of that in my running wardrobe, Dave. And uh, in fact, when I put my top on this morning, Gillian asked me if whether they had it in my size because obviously the one I had on was obviously a bit snug. <laughs> Is that because of all the ice creams? Definitely down to the ice creams. That's that's <laughs> absolutely. But then you know that you asked me to do some research into ice creams, you know. So uh, I was just doing what you asked me. <laughs> and which, which, say, is, which is the best ice cream in Chamonix then Stuart go on before we before we head off well I think there's one there's a place called Chamonix Ice which is nice that's um that seems to be frequented by the top ultra runners I've seen Jim Wormsley in there he was he was buying ice cream so a lot of the American runners go there so I mean that's you know that's got to be a that's got to be a tick in their box isn't it but I think Dave was preferring the Shea Ricard I think last time he was here um so yeah, maybe maybe Dave knows something that we don't. Okay, well maybe we can all get out there at some point again, and we'll go on that. We'll go on a big ice cream hunt around Chamonix and to see if we can find the best one. Um, there is no it's better place. Go on, Dave. I said there's no better place in the world for ice creams than Chamonix. 
Brilliant. Excellent. Listen, Stuart, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to stay indoors and get out there and uh, participate and get cheering on all the runners that come through the finish. I know you're going to have a brilliant weekend. We're going to be watching remotely and hopefully um, all the listeners who are interested in UTMB week will do the same because yeah, it's a spectacular event, just an, an amazing place and just what a gem in the world that week is. It's, it's just remarkable. So enjoy, have fun. Thanks again, Dave, any, any final words? No, I'm good, man. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. All the best, Stuart. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. I am pleased to welcome onto this week's show local but also international uh, living Portsmouth resident Zoe Daligalt. Uh, Zoe is a runner uh, based in Portsmouth, currently residing in the south of France, but due to be back soon running the streets of Portsmouth. Zoe, a very warm welcome to you from myself at the Portsmouth Running Podcast. How are you keeping this week? Oh, hello. So thank you. Um, yeah, this week, well, I'm very happy this morning because I had my whole body cancer scan and got the all clear. So I'm all good for another six months. Uh, so Brilliant. that's a huge relief. Yeah, I'm beginning to believe that it's behind me now. So fingers crossed. Oh, excellent. So you, I'll tell you what, you've been on such a huge journey, which we're, we're going to cover in, in, in detail in a few minutes. But that that is just fantastic news. And, and what a way to kick off the day and, and also the show as well. So congratulations <laughs> to you. And uh, yeah, really, really thank pleased you. for you. Um, so, so this is the first time on the show that we've actually had a guest on to kind of share their running story from overseas. So um, I, I was going to kind of explain why and how it kind of fits in with the show. And then I thought, you know what, the best thing would be to would be to let you spend uh, a couple of minutes introducing yourself to the listeners, um, perhaps maybe a few details about you and your running, um, just in a quick nutshell before we kind of start diving into the details. And uh, yeah, maybe you can kind of tell the listeners how it relates to Portsmouth. Um, so over to you. Okay, I'll give it a go. Gosh, that's that's a tough one because it nothing in my life is very straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> You've chickened out. I, okay, I so where do I start? So uh, I am English. I was born in England. Um, I uh, was born in London, but my grandmother at that time, my grandparents, uh, lived in South Sea, and my grandmother ran a care home for the elderly. And uh, she loved babies, so I spent a lot of time in South Sea um, as a baby. She looked after me a lot. Then my parents, who are sort of bohemian artists, moved to France when I was just over two years old. So I grew up in France, went to school in France, south of France, until I was sixteen. Then I came back to England, so uh, and did my A level and then university so I think that's okay. sort of condensed and then since then so yeah I spent some time in the Royal Navy left the Royal Navy became an interpreter that allowed me to move back to France for a while then I met my husband he's French but he was living in England so wow. uh, I moved to England to join him so <laughs> and then and Southie came quick after that backwards and forwards um, yeah sorry that's really complicated you get an idea it's kind of a 50 50 mix of everything yeah i think i like best summarized as france uk france uk france uk uk france yeah or something like I'm that i'm going like that yes <laughs> and specifically south sea france south sea france south sea <laughs> okay and, and and you're clearly a runner obviously otherwise you wouldn't be on the show and um what what kind of like running distances do you do uh, so, well, these days I don't do much. These days I go out and do a easy five miles. That's about it. Um, every other day or as uh, often as my health and various other issues permit. Um, but I used to uh, enjoy, I suppose, the half marathon distance was my best distance. It's the races I really enjoyed. Uh, stretched up to the up to a marathon distance, yeah. uh, which I uh, never actually did kind of of my full own will. I sort of fell into just doing four marathons without really meaning to. Okay. Interesting. So uh, yeah, full marathon without without really kind of 
aiming at it. So we'll we'll find out all about that in a second. But that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that at least kind of gives people a little bit of an idea on how to place you and and why the why the overseas connection important. So that's great. Um, so thanks for doing that. You, you've been a long time listener of the show because I know you 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 do send me the occasional message saying you know really enjoyed that show and stuff. So that's that's really great. And actually, um, I've got to say thanks as well because you've told a couple of friends in France about the show who have been listening as well. So we've we do actually have people overseas listening to today and yes. I'm making a fool of ourselves. You have an international audience, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant, thanks so much. Um, I also kind of want to say as well that obviously we became uh, neighbours a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. We've known you guys kind of over the wall and got to know you over the years and stuff like that. And obviously once we initially met, lo and behold, turned out you were a runner as well, which I think is pretty much where all of our conversations thereafter kind of directed towards. <laughs> absolutely, yes, yes, yeah. And it's also just happened to be a particularly intense period of uh, our, our life then. So yes, you've, you've, had, you've been able to keep track of the, the last yeah hectic few years exactly and, and what a hectic yeah. um few years it has definitely been but um mm-hmm. yes yeah, so, so you know I, I also wanted to say at the beginning here that um honestly you're, you're one of the most colorful runners that i've ever met um and you've had so many like really interesting running experiences that you've shared with us kind of like over the years uh, with myself as well and the things i find out about you all the time always amaze me i mean you always come up with a with an incredible story of, of something you know you've, you've experienced kind of growing up or with, with your job and stuff and you know an example oh, of that would funny. be like <laughs> like running with the special forces teams um, over across deserts and and beating them i would say um <laughs> you're exciting uh and i think probably fair to say really stressful job as a translator um being a competitive bodybuilder um, and also i think you recently did some work at the Cannes film festival um can you tell us a little bit about that maybe that's right. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, working in France, I, was, I li- when I the periods I've lived in France and where I, I'm now I'm at the moment, I'm uh, near Cannes. So uh, every year there's the Cannes Film Festival, and I did a few did that a few times in the past, um, but obviously the about five year gap and then went straight back into it with the Cannes Film Festival this year um, and got to interpret for Matt Damon um, and then previous years Jodie Foster um, and then this year of course uh, did lots of press conferences for um, yeah for a lot of the, the films including the one which won the the Palme d'Or so yeah wow. it's all, it was quite high profile stressful but um, also really really interesting obviously, obviously it's a yeah fantastic mm. opportunity. That's that's brilliant, and and you actually sent me a little example video that that I watched that I've got to, I've got to share with the listeners. It was incredible. It was it was um a load of actors from overseas. I'm like, I don't know where exactly they were from, but it was somewhere in the Far East, they, a country they were from. They weren't obviously you know you were translating for them and and into French from from English, I would guess. Yes, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. so that'll be the Japanese film Drive My Car. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wow. Right. I mean, it was just it just looked really pretty intense and stressful um, because it's obviously it's it's all live, I assume, with perhaps maybe a 30 second or minute delay. Yeah, it's all live. And the delay is just because it um, you basically have to have heard a chunk of sentence that makes a sense. It's got a, you know, a, a noun, a verb, an object in it before you can actually start saying anything. And often you need to completely reverse the grammar of the sentence going from French into English or the other way around. Oh, my goodness. And so you, you have to have that time delay. So you're, you're listening with one ear and then listening to yourself speak with another ear something which was said about 20 seconds ago and the case of the film that you're talking about we also we had to go through a Japanese to French interpreter because obviously I don't understand any Japanese and everyone was speaking Japanese so um, we had I was listening to the Japanese 
to French interpreters and putting their French into English. So that adds an extra 20 second delay. So you end up really quite a long way behind. Yeah, wow, that's 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 incredible. I, I do also have to ask, did you tell Matt Damon about the show? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't think of that. Oh, <laughs> didn't have running on my mind at that moment, funny enough. <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Listen, listen Zoe, um, I thought like, Perhaps, you know, with, with the timeline of the show and, and talking about your running and story stuff, I, I thought it would be like a really good idea maybe to give listeners an idea of kind of like your last couple of years, because um, it's obviously a, a big part of your story and and obviously affected the running a lot. But, you know, you, you touched on earlier that you, you've been given the all clear today, which is which is fantastic news for for your, your cancer. But um, I thought maybe it would be a good idea to describe to the listeners um, what exactly is kind of you've gone through over the last couple of years. So what what health issues um, sprouted up and how it kind of affected you and and obviously your running and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give it a go. That's another big challenge. Question. Big question. Uh, yes, <laughs> it kind of runs a bit like one of those fortunately unfortunately jokes. I don't know if you know that. I used to be a fan of that when I was a child. Um, no. So yeah, I suppose it all really was started I'll start with when I had my son which was now four years ago um, and um, I had a really horrible delivery and ended up very badly injured from it so basically I had all my all my pelvic organ, organs ripped out front and back um, right. was told I should yep never run again um, because obviously everything was falling out of my pelvic floors ripped out unrepairable etc obviously had a lot of issues affecting my dignity and so on yeah, really not yeah. not great uh, and on a daily basis it would take me about an hour and a half maybe sometimes two hours to manage just daily functions of going to the toilet so yeah not yeah, fun yeah. um and uh so so that's, I, mean, I, also, so I, I also just want to yeah. sorry, interrupt you here just to say you know th- thank you for sharing this i think it's like really super important to be able to talk about these things openly so so you know you're incredibly brave coming on here and and, and talking about this as well so i really i really appreciate it and it's um oh. i just think it's interesting and, and good to talk about Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Not many people talk about birth injuries. It's sort of a bit of a taboo subject. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I was not usually as bad as what I got. I was particularly unlucky. I'm very petite. So that's, that's something that obviously the listeners um, not having visual can't see. And you mentioned, you know, a bit of bodybuilding thrown in there and so on. I'm the last person in the world who looks like someone who's done uh, ever done a bodybuilding competition. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, five foot two and like way. I'll mix my measures here. Forty-eight kilos. That's what about seven and a half stone or something. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that had something to do with that. Which yeah, is why it was surprising when you told us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of the reasons why I did it. That's kind of why it's sort of almost. Yeah, I like that kind of challenge of doing something that's just completely, completely ridiculous given my build and my physique, and also just I think generally the way I come across doesn't <laughs> doesn't yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, but, so I'm um, sorry to interrupt you. Please, please do carry yeah. on with your with your story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, anyway, so I uh, eventually uh, got lots of opinions, lots of doctors, and everything was dragging on. And I thought, just sort it. I'm going to go and have a go at running. And sure enough, the first few times, everything felt like it's going to fall out. But but um, I felt like it was getting slightly better from one run to the next so I persevered and actually things got kind of better rather than worse not still not livable but definitely it was uh, the trend was positive and that's what I always look out for when I'm running same for injuries same for basically all the physical issues I've been through um and whenever people said oh you know you shouldn't run I've always thought well I'm just going to try it and I'll make my own judgment as to which way it's going based on a kind of I really respect that 
that that kind of method of yours because I I'm, I do operate in the same kind of way as well. So so yeah, carry on. Mm, yeah, I realise that there's just not, not not that many people who really know about running. Actually, full stop. I'm sure those people are out there, but you know that combination of having a specific kind of non-running related injury and yeah. how running relates to it. Not that many people um, really have the knowledge, and the research isn't out there. So actually, you know, you're, you're it has to be one's own guinea pig. So um, so yeah. So anyway, I was just kind of beginning to get sort of quite back into running and enjoying it again when uh yeah i had a diagnosis of uh, stage three melanoma wow. so that's yeah i initially thought oh skin cancer what's yeah what's the issue with that you just take it just a mold just take it out but um i really had i suppose in a way the good fortune not to know anything about cancer because none of my family had ever been affected and no, no one that was who was close to me and yeah. uh that's when i realized ah oh, no if it spread to the lymph nodes it, which it had in my case uh, so a stage three in the neck and the armpit that's a whole different kettle of fish because melanoma is very aggressive it likes to spread uh it's uh resistant to chemotherapy so the only weapon in the uh, the tool well, the only weapon in the box is um, immunotherapy. And it actually turns out I have a history of autoimmune disease. And my father is very, very poorly with autoimmune disease. And so that makes the risks of uh, the immunotherapy sending my immune system completely haywire and causing me completely okay. horrible, incurable disease the rest of my life really high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so that was a really tough decision to make as to whether I felt it was worth risking um, immunotherapy or not, given that it was adjuvant therapy. The idea is that they hope they've got all the cancer out through surgery, but they can't be sure. Uh, only time will tell. And it's basically a 50-50 chance whether it comes back or not. So I thought, well, I'm going to take my 50% chance um, and I'll take the immunotherapy if I get to stage four. So if I get um, distant uh, metastases. But um, okay. yes, I'm two years down the line now as of and a clear cancer, cancer scan as of today. So that's that's cool. Um, uh, it looks like my, my bet might be working out. I've got to wait five years in total from, um, from the beginning to, to feel that I've actually got it behind me, sure. But um, Okay. Is this your first year now that you've had to clear? Uh, two years. Two years, two, two two years. years since okay. the uh, melanoma op. Yes. So that's now looking pretty good. I'm beginning to, as of today, feel kind of quite confident. Brilliant. Of course, you know, you can't tell. There's a reason why they give you all these six months, these scans, uh, you know, up till up to five years. But um, yeah, so I was but I was unlucky in that that's that was number one cancer. Then came along number two cancer. Yeah. So, yeah, in the process of obviously the whole body, the first whole body scan I had uh, looking to stage my uh, my melanoma. Uh, they found a kidney tumor, but that was a whole different kettle of fish, but I won't go into, but um, it was an aggressive, very rare form of, of kidney cancer. Um, and the NHS were sadly intent on misdiagnosing it. And yeah. eventually it had me literally running off to France uh, with the rest of my family, my husband and my son. Just in before COVID. It seemed to just before COVID, literally, it was in February 2019. Yeah. And my operation happened the day, so the operation to remove the tumor and remove half of my kidney uh, took place in France the very day of lockdown. Wow. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was all very stressful because the staff in the hospital were completely stressed out of their minds. The hospital had been turned upside down. All the wards were closed. And I didn't have the, like, the normal specialist nurses you were meant to have. They were orthopedic nurses because everything, everyone had been, their teams had been all shifted in order to um, make the, you know, for, for, to, to give priority, obviously, to COVID patients. And um, yeah, yeah wow. it was uh, not the most pleasant of experiences, but Gosh, the actual the operation itself went well. But mm. the timing, yes. But I was, yeah, very lucky. And, 
Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, and, and Zoe, are you are you running now relatively pain free since since all your operations and and all clears and stuff? Are you are you at the moment, or have you? Got- no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sadly, it's problematic. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's really hard. So uh, it's uh, it's feeling kind of never ending. But I I run because I enjoy it. Um, and so, uh, how can I put it? Mm, uh it's i think i, th- I think I'd, yeah. I'd like to m- maybe step in yes. here and just say that i, I remember mm. you writing when you when you kind of sent me your story saying that running kind of you know it has a it has a way of making you feel in, invincible doesn't it it's absolutely when, yeah. when you're flying over the land and just you know just embracing the nature around you that the fresh air the feeling of moving over the earth just and you know pressing your feet on the ground is it, it does make you feel like like superman or superwoman it does absolutely yes you put it so well yes it's exactly that it makes you feel really alive in a very positive way and I come back from the run and I thought yeah I can do this um despite the pain the pain despite all the uh, unanswered questions still about you know what's yeah for all my ongoing health issues which we haven't fully covered yet um so yeah but uh it's um it's exactly that feeling of an invincibility and the fact that it's something that brings back lots of positive memories for me because it's always kept me kept me going when in the rough times it's been like a really good um, steady friend from yeah. way back from my teenage years um, it's also been a hard taskmaster so it's been a bit of a double-edged sword yeah but um it, it almost perhaps like a good like a relationship can be where there's the kind of there can be a tug of war as to who as a kind of the power balance i've just thought of that um, so yeah it feels it. like a long yeah like a long-standing relationship that's kind of where i've come come out on you know it's come out positive Mm. that's amazing well I've, I've obviously had a lot of runners on the show with like incredible stories of how running's kind of helped them through this and and you know with your story in mind it's you know it's no difference at all it's just just incredible how it's been there for you in in hard times and i know you're struggling with it at the moment but you you know you're, you're keeping it going just about ticking over so it's just great about, that it kind of yes. gives you that feeling that confidence yeah exactly and i still get that even though it literally is only in tickover modes um in fact i don't I, I used not to think i'd be able to make my piece of that but i have um i used to go out and feel that i had to kind of trash myself every run that i had to be progressing that um i had to be as it were running well and i had my own kind of scale as to you know what what that meant yeah. i've completely let go of all that now and i'm just happy to be out there as you describe it just you know kind of feeling that oxygen going through the lungs seeing the yeah. landscape go past uh yeah that's that's enough brilliant well so, so you're on strava and i think it might be a good time to mention this because um you said that they're about thrashing yourself all the time and i remember you loved strava when i introduced you to it and you loved this the idea of the segments and i remember you you always used to send me a, a quick message saying oh you know i, I challenged so and so to a strava segment and i'm going to get this one back from this guy and um, <laughs> are you yes. still racing those koms no i'm not no no i'm nowhere near but i i uh i would like to get back to doing that because i love the fun aspects of it so there's a Good. i think there's a lot of people are very anti being competitive and uh, to me there's there's a there's a, a the healthy and unhealthy ways of being competitive i think the unhealthy way of being competitive is when your your kind of sense of self worth self worth is tied up with how you're doing relative to other people and that's very unhealthy but yeah. i think there's a healthy com- competitivity where you are just literally like a don't know like a child wants to go out and you know run next to another child and see who can get to their pre-trunk fastest it's just just literally fun and childlike yes. um and that's that's the bit that i like and that's the what i like on strava because it doesn't it just it feels very yeah very game-like 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head there with, with that comparison between, you know, two kids running, running for a tree type thing. It's just that is kind of how exactly how I see it, which is which is such a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's a way of just egging each other on to do your best. And also, when um, I, when you look at um, how sort of professional athletes are out in the field of competition, often they they say they well they they often thank each other at the end of, of the race. Yes. Um, and uh, they, I remember someone being interviewed and, and and saying, well, they thank them because had it not been for the other competitors out there in the field, they wouldn't have been able to run their best. You need the other people there to everyone's pushing everyone else to do their best and at the end of the day it's a race against yourself it's a race against you know how well you can do and you know it's, it's an end result of all the training and injuries and everything that's gone into it and you're not really out there actually kind of against other people you're all kind of encouraging each other in a way to to go out there and and um and give your best I don't know if Absolutely. that makes sense the po- the positiveness that, that running installs is is phenomenal really it really is it's unlike any other sport so yeah maybe uh, a good way to to describe it and, and the reasons behind it and stuff um so yeah, i thought like perhaps maybe we talk a little bit about you you growing up in france and kind of when when running first i guess started for you and, and when you noticed you had a, a knack for the endurance running because i i believe uh, the story you sent me you ran your first half marathon at the age of 15 um didn't, didn't quite go uh, to plan <laughs> not quite no so I wanted to wanted to with my it was my friend Agnes so Agnes and I were both uh at school uh when it came to the like the 20 minute running endurance kind of thing that we had to do uh both would just come out sort of way ahead of everyone else boys and girls all together uh, yep. for no particular good reason and we were neighbors um and Agnes's mother used to run a bit so we kind of knew that running sort of was a thing and uh so Agnes came to me one day and said oh you know we could there's a half marathon on locally uh, we should go and have a go at doing this so we sort of trained a little bit I'm not quite sure what that meant I think that was just like a couple of laps around the block we had no real idea what training for a half marathon actually meant and then it actually turned out that um that their minimum age for entry was 16 and we must That's have been right. like about yeah you know 14 or something at that time so yeah we were gutted even, <laughs> I don't know I what would have even... happened had we been able to do it I don't know Wow. But even 16 is quite young, I, I guess, these days to, to be entering a half marathon. I, I don't know what the what the minimum age limit is for a half marathon in the UK, but I think it's probably 18, I would guess. Is it? I don't know. A lot of, because uh, I, I do a bit of bouldering as well. And in like competition climbing, the adult uh, climbing is competitions are from age 16 upwards. Okay. So... Hmm, not sure. Is. Interesting. I'll have, to go, I'll have to go and look that up and check it. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what age were you when you left France then and moved to the UK? Because we've already touched on the fact that you've been back and forth between between the UK and mm. France. Um, how, how was that for you? So, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I was 16 um, and it was super hard. Uh, my mother got a, suddenly got a job in America, so she shot off across the Atlantic um, okay. and I ended up uh, living in quite difficult conditions with my father uh, in London. Uh, quite difficult is an understatement. I won't get into, de- into details, um, yeah. but um, the, uh, uh, I was at a very good school um, and I actually at that stage I'd become really unhappy because school in France is weird um, and it's, I went to very... Uh, very ordinary but also not very good state schools where it's cool to be seen to not work and I was always uh, I enjoyed school I enjoyed learning and I was always enthusiastic so of course that was not well perceived at all and I ended up for my last year just having no friends um, feeling completely isolated um, and just I suppose I don't know there's a there are a combination of factors that meant I got really depressed and I wanted to die so I did a bit of research into the best way and I thought well okay one foolproof way of doing it is anorexia 
Oh, uh, no, so Zoe. just stop eating. Yeah. So that's what I did. Um, and so by the time sort of a year down the line, I got to the UK, I think I weighed about 35 kilos. Don't know what that is in, um, yeah, in, in stones. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's very skeletal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, my heart was beating irregularly and so on. And there was a medical at the new school that I, I joined and um, that was immediately picked up on. But they were really unpleasant about it. Instead of asking me, oh, you know, what, what might be wrong or what's just happened or so on, it was straight into, oh, you know, you uh, a spoiled kind of, you know, spoiled girl who spent too much time looking at uh, magazines and has, you know, body image issues. And that oh, couldn't have been gosh. further from the truth. Um, and so um, I took it quite badly and they, they threatened to hospitalize me. I refused. Uh, they can't force you because I was over 16. And, um, and but anyway, what they did manage to do was to, oh, I had to have all my meals with uh, the teacher's table. I had to be weighed every single day. It was oh. all very intrusive and very, there, there was no empathy. There was no, no questions, uh, nothing. And yet I could have really done with help at that stage, but mm. I wasn't being given help of the kind I needed. So um, I like, it, I like to think ways, things have maybe changed a little bit since then, um, because there's a lot of a lot of awareness about eating disorders, especially around around the running topic, for sure. Right. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. Yes. Um, yeah. Because okay. yeah, the, this this was not good. I think they were they were as it were looking out on the medical side, but they weren't at all looking out on the exactly. Well, at least they were trying to yeah. look out on the mental health side, but they were so determined that there was only one sort of um stereotype that fitted anorexia which was the kind of you know body image thing um yeah. that uh the fact that you could just be you know depressed uh, or have been through some severe depression yeah. uh, just didn't look at the they didn't know what to do with me no they weren't at all um anyway so it kind of brought out the fighting spirit in me which is i suppose also a bit of a fundamental theme through various challenges i've been through and i thought right okay um i'll show them what i'm capable of so i worked my socks off <laughs> um yeah. school-wise for my a-levels um and got some good results um and then uh, on one hand and then I thought okay well I've been banned from doing any uh, school sports so I'm going to go and join a just a normal adult running club which is what I did so that's when my wow. running seriously started age 16 with that adult running club um would they yeah. let you run in school no 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 so absolutely not so I was completely banned they didn't even want me to uh, go fast up and down stairs because they thought my heart might might give oh, up on goodness. me wow. <laughs> Okay. so uh, yeah well, clearly, clearly is, they were worried you know, about enough, you so, but, um, so i guess it was maybe their way of, of dealing with it but not in the right way yeah, yeah. Not, not in the right way no no i can see i can see kind of what they were aiming at they didn't want me dying on them but um no they definitely weren't going about it the right way no okay no. And, okay. and and what did join which club was it that you joined and and how how did that kind of transform you and or, or even if it did hmm. so yeah absolutely it was uh, london front runners Okay. They were awesome. Uh, they were, and they were at that time. It was quite. A, it's now become a really big uh, club, and there are, uh, and it's kind of 50-50 men and women. But at that time, there was only one other woman, and the own, and all the other people were, yeah, guys. And I suppose they're mid to late twenties, something like that. All of whom are now, you know, twenty plus years older. Get how how many years on? So all kind of yeah. middle aged now. But um, uh, but yeah, they were super fit, and so I didn't really have a choice other than just try and, you know, yeah, uh, sort of run my yeah run as fast as I could trying to try to keep up with them so that that brought my training on pretty quickly brilliant were there were there some good coaches there were you coached by somebody um was was the 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 issues you were having with anorexia was that brought up or raised at all did you get some help there so, uh, no, there are no coaches um, and the and the anorexia was never mentioned because I was basically I, I'd started recovering um, from okay. the moment that I started my new school in England, which is part of, partly why I was so irritated by all the intrusiveness, because I just felt just just leave me to it. This is 
behind me now. Um, I was depressed. I'm not depressed anymore because I'm starting out a new school and this new school was fantastic and everyone was super keen and all the things that used to, that had got me ostracized in France were now being yeah. seen as positive in England. So it was totally life-changing. Totally and um, yeah. and I was just kind of gradually putting on weight because the, that wasn't that had never been an issue. I, I stopped wanting to die. So I just started eating again. So um, I didn't want to be kind of forced into it or, um, yeah, controlled, I suppose. Wow. Uh, so it said so at the club no it wasn't wasn't an issue um, okay and they were lovely to me they bought me my first pair of proper running trainers I can't remember whether it was when I turned 17 or when I turned 18 but mm. um yeah I'll never forget my first pair of A6 gel Kayano and it must have been very close to the model it wasn't model one but it must have been about two or three or something because my okay. last pair were like model no 26 or something and it must be one pair a year so oh that's yeah. amazing that they did that I mean you must have been so pleased to get those shoes totally <laughs> yes yes absolutely oh, yes. Brilliant. Now, you obviously still worked extremely hard at school because you ended up um going off to Oxford University um but like what you mentioned to me was that like there was a lot of pressure on you at that time to to perform academically um, yes. you were on, I think you were on a bursary, you said as well. So there was obviously like a lot of pressure for you to, to do well and, and, and stuff. So um, what was that time like for you? And did you get to do any running at Oxford? Was, it, was there a running club there or anything you got to take part in? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, in order. Um, yeah, the pressure was insane. I mean, I had done pretty ridiculously well during my A-level years. I don't want to sound as though I'm kind of uh, yeah, boasting, but basically I got best um, biology results in the of that year in the country. Uh, and wow. I'd done a research project uh, in the sort of the summer uh, between my two A-level uh, uh, years and which then kind of went on. And it was a real research project uh, at, um, ah, which hospital in London? Anyway, I forget, anyway, one of the teaching hospitals. Okay, brilliant. And um, Charing Cross Hospital, that was it. And it ended up getting published. So at basically age 17, I had my, you know, my name as the author, the main author of a research paper. Wow. Um, and so everyone kind of thought, oh, you know, on for, you know, Nobel Prize kind of thing. And I wanted to go into research. And uh, what I was going to say, yeah, but uh, by that stage, my father had gone back to, uh, had gone, well, not gone back to, had joined my mother in the USA. And I'd been living for a year um, as a lodger in, in someone's house. Okay. And basically, I had no, no, finance, no, no funding. Um, and I was considered an overseas student because I hadn't lived in the UK long enough to qualify as a UK student. So I had to pay, I had to pay, uh, I had to pay tuition fees, but I had to pay something else as well. Anyway, oh, now I know what it was. I wasn't allowed um, a normal uh, state uh, loan okay. uh, for, for university. So uh, my school put me forward to a charitable organization uh, and they, um, they fund one, one student per year to go to either Oxford or Cambridge. So they funded me, that was their student for the year. And um, they, I mean, it was, ah, again, another double-edged sword because they kind of heat the pressure on me. Yeah, um, I can imagine. And, and, everyone, and my tutor's expectations uh, were sky high. Everyone's expectations were so high. And actually I was burnt out because I'd been running kind of absolute all at max I'd been studying all at max sleeping very little doing that research project and you know just one summer of holiday before starting at the university term wasn't enough to recover and um and I yeah just pretty much fell to pieces um and at the end of that year um I discovered the Royal Navy I became a member of the University Royal Naval Unit Wow, and okay. that kind of, yeah, so that was cool. And so running, you asked about the running club. So yes, there is a, a running club at Oxford, but it was, I went a few times, but it was, it felt very pressured. 
um, they're very much into competing. And I mean, maybe it was just I went so few times that maybe I got the wrong impression. But I suppose I was ultra sensitive to having any additional pressure heaped on. And it mm. felt like it was a pressure sort of club um, where I couldn't just run just for the fun of it. Okay. Uh, so, so I kind of, I dropped out of that and just kind of kept up sort of the ticking over type running um, yeah. sometimes just, yeah. And sometimes just to kind of to avert depression, I, I suppose I started another phase where I was, yeah, just depressed and uh, again the running kept me going through that because it was at least something positive that I could do for myself wow. and I became a dropout so by the second year I'd completely dropped out um, and was doing nothing but university Royal naval unit stuff managed to not get found out because I was still um, writing the weekly essays for my tutors and I'd turn up and I'd say oh you know very good very creative thinking and the reason it was creative was because I hadn't been to any of the lectures <laughs> I was wow. making up half of it <laughs> Um, but it, didn't, it got me through into the second term. And then the second term, they realized I hadn't actually been to any of the lab uh, tutorials. And that okay. got me into serious trouble. And then they kind of realized that I'd been sort of dropping out um, and I got a mighty telling off. And again, I suppose I can see that I think they thought that it would just kind of um, like a kick in the backside that would make me you know, yes. get my act together. But actually, it had the reverse effect. It just broke me. Um, and I just thought, okay, that's the end. It's, it's, you know, there's no hope. Um, so I went into massive depression, didn't leave the house for six weeks, uh, didn't open the curtains for six weeks. Um, oh, yeah, I'd moved out by that stage out of college, I was in town. Um, and uh, the uh, and I just drank vodka for, for that time. Oh, uh, I don't know whether, yeah, so I definitely didn't run. And at the end of that, I thought, okay, um, either I kill myself or I do something radical. So I thought, okay, I'll do something radical. I'll ask the Navy if I can join right now. And so I joined the Navy as a non-grad wow, at that stage. Good. So and a, and a, a sharp turn, a sharp, more well, huge career turn there to, to, to be joining <laughs> the Navy. But, but what a good opportunity yeah. to, to, to join the Navy. And what did you end up doing um, in, the, in the Navy initially then? So initially I was a warfare officer. So that's everything to do with like navigation from, from the bridge. But um, okay. after the sort of initial training for that, I realized that um, my seasickness wasn't getting any better. I was okay during the University Royal Naval Unit stuff because they had patrol boats with an open bridge. And actually, as so long as I'm in fresh air, I'm okay. And I thought, well, you know, okay, I know I'm prone to seasickness, but I'm sure with time it'll get better. Okay. And it didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I feel so, so sorry for you there because I, I suffer the same thing on, on the water. It's just an awful, nauseating, horrible. Ugh. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've even managed to feel seasick on the Gosport ferry. So. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> saying something, yeah. So, so spending a little bit, yeah, a year and a bit on warships, uh, yeah, which smell of diesel and puke and uh, yeah, it's really in, you know, you're bad locked memories, in and memories, no yeah. open bridge. You, yeah, um, yeah. You, bad memories of seasickness. Good memories uh, of everything else. I've got, I've got to ask though, like when you're on board a ship and, and you're, and you're training or you want to run, do you actually like get to run on deck? Yes. Yeah, you do. Yes. So um, there are two things they do. There's uh, the, um, the PT on board will organize circuit training. So you kind of get to do a bit of all sorts, all over fitness uh, on the flight deck. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, if you just want to go out and run, then you just go and run loops around the deck, including when the ship is out at sea, sailing, navigating. And uh, in, if you're me, that also includes in storms. <laughs> Wow. which uh yeah yeah so uh i think you, I think you said, you'd said to me you'd said to me once um you actually got a, a call out on the tannoy to uh you know That's saying right. saying come on you know, the to, yeah to get you you must have had a you must have had such a reputation for being like the the endurance runner yeah. on board 
I had a crazy reputation. I had a reputation in the end as well because we'd go out clubbing and stuff all nights and drinking and I'd do that as much as everyone else. And then on the back of no sleep at all, I'd go and run 10 miles and thrash myself. Um, wow. And sometimes I'd get someone else to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> and make them suffer too <laughs> just oh. kind of, and uh yeah and I used to do the same in the navy and the navy is kind of quite a you know hard hard working you know work hard play hard kind of culture so I, I sort of stretched that to the limit so yeah I did have a bit of a reputation I think wow. yeah I think it's, it's probably fair to say that your your talent for endurance and stuff was was definitely noticed because um you got selected and, and this is absolutely incredible this blows my mind to go to and and, and actually do and participate in the commandos course Yes. Yeah. Well, they, so let's be clear, not, not the all arms commander course. So I had, um, so I was, uh, my boss basically, yeah, just on one drunk night when I was drunk to um, suggested it, I was mad enough to have a go at doing the two day selection to then be eligible to do the all arms commander course. And at that stage, one woman had actually managed to do the all arms commander course and no one had attempted um, the selection since. So what they do on the two day selection at down at Limpson is they get you to do all the uh, end stage challenges or certainly the main end, end challenges of, of the end of the eight week eight okay. week all arms commander course so the idea is if you can do those when you're kind of fresh you've got a chance of being able to do them um after eight weeks of beasting okay, um okay. yeah so i mean they're crazy challenges so it's down at the bottom fields uh you know you, they match you up with your uh by height but of course i was the only female and as i mentioned i'm very small very slight and so they found an uh a, a I think it's an infantry soldier who was sort of roughly my height, but who was obviously pretty muscular. And uh, you had to, uh, and so you would match in pairs and you have to run up a hill carrying your oppo in your arms baby style, if you wow. can picture that. So obviously he was having yep. a good time of it with me. <laughs> but I was having a much tougher time. And actually the worst, it wasn't carrying him baby style up a hill, although I think my back's never been the same since, but um, was actually having to drag the other person by their feet. So they're lying on their back on the ground. You're dragging, trying to run up the hill with their um, feet under your armpits. Yeah. Visualise that. And that was crazy hard. So of course, I'm just so light. You know, I can lean forwards as much as I can. I can lean forwards almost horizontal and I'm getting no yeah. traction. So... <laughs> Bet, so I, stuff like I bet that. The actual, the the pure like like running based activities you would um you would excel at, I'm sure. So the actual running part of it was okay. Yes. Yeah. So the last bit on the endurance course, which still has all the water features and stuff, I was I was okay on sort of running in between the the, the the things and the just the overall endurance over that period of time and just things like press ups and hanging off ropes and that kind of thing, I was okay with. But the stuff that required real true like prop, um like robustness I found really hard like all the stuff struggling through mud kind of you know mud would be up to my waist when to other people it's up to kind of their mid thighs for example and that actually makes a really big difference um and uh yeah but then other things (laughs) yeah yeah, I'm not not keen on on repeating the experience I'm glad I did it and I did actually pass because basically what it's a kind of a bit like one of those reality tv show things where people drop out um yes. gradually uh step by stage by stage and at any stage you can just say right now i've had enough and, and stop and that's it you're pulled okay. off um so i think we started off about you know must be about 45 ish of us something like that and i think we were 13 to finish um when i was among that 13 so yeah that's pretty incredible. cool how many how many um how many women had finished that course before then were you were you one of the first so um, I was only ever the second woman to attempt um, the selection to then go and do the All Arms Commander course. Um, yep. The first one had obviously passed that selection, done the course. She was an army triathlete, and I think it took her three attempts to finish 
the Orlamps Kamada course. And then since then, um, another woman has, um, has done it and maybe more, but uh, I left the Navy in 2008. So in 2008, one other woman had, had actually been through the whole thing um, right and got her green berry right at the end, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I had a bit of feedback. So I was doing a bit of work with the um, Royal Marines and Special Forces at that stage um, from some guys who had been instructors on the course that she was on. And they said that she was absolutely phenomenal. And they treated her just like one of the guys. They forgot that she was a woman, which is wow. amazing. Yeah, Gosh, real well, respect. Well, well done. Respect to you, Zoe. Um, well, I don't know. I need, I need to just add a little bit of it. But um, amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. So I'm glad I did um, it. I think you had um, like other opportunities as well, which all kind of sound very James Bond-like. Um, but but for a number of reasons, you ended up um, in Salisbury, I think, uh, doing the bodybuilding, which you mentioned earlier, and also running at the same time. And I, I've got no idea how those two go together, but I would love to hear... I'd love to hear a little bit about the bodybuilding and, and how that kind of played in with the running as well. Uh, yeah, so yeah, as you can imagine, they don't go together particularly well, not not yep. beyond a certain stage anyway. Um, the uh, well, Because I basically had to do quite a lot of uh, lifting weights, I only had six weeks to prepare for the, uh, the two-day selection that we just talked about uh, because it was all just done on a yeah, kind of a, a mad, you know, drunken sort of challenge thing. Um, so six weeks isn't a very long time, but... Um, after that, I realized I actually really enjoyed lifting free weights. And so I carried on. And uh, because the, the Navy at that stage, they were quite keen on me having a go at special forces selection, um, especially the special reconnaissance regiment, which they thought would be kind of match my desire to do crazy challenging things, but less requiring less complete, complete all out robustness um, compared to the all arms commander course. Um, so they gave me a job with the army in Salisbury with the idea that I was in the right kind of environment to prepare for doing the SRR, Special Reconnaissance Regiment uh, selection if I wanted to. And, uh, and there was a guy from who was ex-SAS who was a colleague of mine and we used to train together in the gym. And he gave me all sorts of amazing tips as to how to really max out your, your muscle strength. Okay. And um, yeah, and anyway, I just thought in the mix of all that, uh, I'd seen some uh, posters about a bodybuilding championship and I just a bodybuilding contest rather and I just yeah I'll have a go at that uh, it just looked it just looked fun it was just yeah and again because it's so unlikely for someone like me so I got myself a sparkly outfit and you have Amazing, to wear these spark- as a woman as your sparkly stilettos and it's completely crazy because you're there sort of pumping up beforehand you're lifting these crazy heavy bars I can't remember how much I was lifting but anyway serious weight yeah. in my in my kind of sparkly uh, sparkly costume and, and and sparkly stilettos um with all the massive guys and I was the only woman at the first contest I did and so I won I won by default just because I was the only woman but um but um there were two things that happened there one um there was also just a a marking uh scheme and on my own merits I was put through to the um novice national uh novice nationals uh which were taking place in Birmingham later on that year so that's the second one I went on to do and then the other fun thing about that one is that they uh right at the end of the contest is oh we're putting on a pull-ups challenge and it was only aimed at the guys but I said went to the organizer oh can I have a go so he said oh yeah okay but so why not so (laughs) I had a go at the pull-up challenge and uh I won so that's pretty cool (laughs) I'm kind of cheating because obviously my power to weight ratio is just yeah. insane you can imagine compared to the guys but um i'm still quite glad um brilliant amazing amazing it sounds like it's like so many of so many different and broad opportunities kind of came your way and you just i love i love the story <laughs> of your attitude of just like you know I'm, I'm gonna go and do that i'm the least most least likely person to be bodybuilding or or, or doing the pull-up challenge but i'm gonna go for it and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and then uh, you know so- i think in, in life when you tackle things like that i think like so many good opportunities come your way and and it's and it's just good fun you know like we were talking about earlier 
That's brilliant. Yes, yeah. Minimize chances of regret. At least, at least I can't say, oh, you know, I wish I tried this or that because no, I did it. I basically, exactly. yeah, give everything exactly. a go. And, and I think the thing on, is now you're on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The main thing is not to take oneself too seriously. I think. I think that's the for me anyway. That's the that's the key to it. And um, oh yeah, with the bodybuilding, I did end up weighing about. Let me see, uh, 12 kilos more than I weigh now, uh, so than my normal weight. So that's quite wow, a lot. Okay. And there, there wasn't much fat on me. So I did bulk up a lot. And that's natural. That's without taking any steroids or whatever. I did look into taking steroids just in case. And then uh, <laughs> on balance, so, no. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, and so my running wasn't brilliant at that stage. And then there came a point where um, they, my colleague left and uh, I kind of, I'd done the second bodybuilding contest. I thought, okay, I've kind of taken this as far as I want to take it. My real pleasure is, is really running. So then I kind of did a lot more running and then the, the weight just came off. Okay. Um, and, and that's where I kind of got into doing marathons. Okay, brilliant. And you, I think, well, like another of the opportunities that came that came your way was um, getting to tow tow the line in in the Washington Marathon. Um, yes, I know yeah. that wasn't your first because you'd run you'd run the Salisbury Marathon as well. But how, how did you end up in the Washington Marathon? So the Washington Marathon was a kind of consequence of the Salisbury Marathon. So I'll just go uh, rewind a little bit towards yeah. that because that was one that was just a very low key event. Uh, it was an office sort of thing that we were going to do when I was working at Salisbury. And uh, it, you could do the half marathon or the marathon and decide on the day. So I just thought, well, I've not trained for a marathon. I'll, I'll just do the half. Uh, you know, I could do that. Um, I tried ever actually run. No, I must. No, I had run the half marathons before then. Anyway. And, uh, and on the day, my, uh, my uh, staff who were there also running said, oh, you know, mom, you know, you should, you should do the full marathon. We know you're a runner. So I thought, okay, well, why not? If I don't do a marathon now, I'll probably never do one. Um, so, so why not? <laughs> so, so I entered the full marathon and ended up coming in third woman in three hours 30, um, which I was, yeah, I was, I was really surprised by. And what was most surprising is running along that was being told, I think, I remember actually being told, being cheered on, being told I was second woman, um, which confused me for a while. I think they must have just not seen the first person go by or whatever. But anyway, I just remember hearing that and thinking, wow, that's crazy. I wasn't expecting that. Um, And that kind of just really kept me going. Um, And so I kind of got noticed by the Royal Navy marathon team, um, who on the basis of that said, hey, you know, why not come and uh, represent the Royal Navy running against the uh u.s marine corps at the washington marathon uh that autumn so yeah then that's how i got put on a plane with the with the royal navy team so that was cool and we got to start because it's the navy versus the u.s marine corps it gets us to start on the front line with all the real elites um with kind of forty thousand runners behind us which is a pretty crazy experience gosh amazing amazing what what are the um, u.s marathons like compared to like something like london which i know you've you've done as well Oh, good question. Uh, uh, it's a lot, many fewer people, uh, many fewer spectators, definitely not the whole kind of the costumes sort of parade sort of thing. Oh, really? Although, okay. At least maybe I wasn't aware of it. That's, that's a, I don't know, not that I could see anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, and just, just far fewer spectators. It goes right out. I didn't realize that Washington went out into the kind of countryside. And I seem to remember some really quite beautiful sort of woodland and not quite cascades, but something like that kind of rock formations and things. It was a lot more scenic than I thought it would be. And there was one crazy long, very windy bridge somewhere sort of in the last two thirds of it, uh, where I remember I was really struggling. And there was this guy ahead of me who said, tuck in behind me, tuck in behind me. And I've never tried this thing where you tuck in behind someone to um, take advantage of their 
you know, the, the wind shelter behind them. Yes, but yeah. he, he insisted and he said, come closer, come closer. And I kind of initially didn't dare. Anyway, I did. And then, wow, gosh, what a difference that made. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. That was so kind um, of, of him to do that. Cause I think mean, you could, I was sort of kind of running next to him ish and you could tell how hard I was breathing. You know, you can tell when someone's struggling next to you. Yeah, I do. You know, I, I do the same at South Sea Park Run. I always, I, if I, I, if I tuck in behind somebody else, I always then will pull out, um, get ahead of them, and ask them to tuck in behind me. So it's kind of like sharing. Ah, yes, I, a bit like doing the peloton um, thing in cycling, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think I've been in groups of two or three or four before, and especially on the Great South Run as well, when it's been windy at the end, and we all kind of just like take turns. It's just a, a kind of natural volunteering. I think a couple of runners don't don't participate, but. You know, hey ho. Ah, that's no, that's really nice. Gosh, yes, wow. Mm. That's a, it's, a, it's yeah. a good idea. It's a good idea. So, um, so the marathon for you was good. You ended up obviously running the London marathon as well after that, but but you didn't you didn't hit the kind of target you wanted because you, I think you were aiming to perhaps maybe dip under three hours, maybe three oh five. Oh, I was aiming for three oh five. Yeah, I don't think I definitely wasn't wouldn't have been capable of of, of under three. But yeah, three oh five was definitely um, yeah, it was, it was what I was aiming for. And I'm I'm kind of pleased because I did run three oh five pace, or even a bit below three oh five pace. But I yeah, I had I had diarrhea on the, oh, no. from about kind of ten miles on <laughs> worst nightmare. And I was really suffering, and I had terrible tummy pains with it, and I had to keep stopping at all the portaloo stops. Um, so yeah. that lost me quite a lot of time. So I ended up coming in at three ten. But I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with that because I don't care in in my mind I know that I ran I ran according to plan and I had to run harder um you know running at my target pace because because of the tummy ache yeah, so uh yeah, yeah. oh so, gosh what, so. a, what a time for that to come on and, and listen I've, I've, <laughs> yes. I, I've got to ask you a question as well Zoe now you you didn't send this to me but obviously I researched for the show a little bit and um I had to ask a question and see if it rings any bells for you mentioning your super pants <laughs> yes it does yes yeah that, well, that was my nickname after the uh, Washington Marathon because I <laughs> I get really Blame. hot running yeah well, even in the winter I was running absolute bare minimalist uh yeah outfits uh, other than maybe gloves maybe um but uh gloves and sometimes like forearm warmers you know forearm socks uh but uh but yeah so, uh, so especially for a race I get even hotter than anything else and it Racing is one time I feel I can get my my racing pants out. So I wouldn't really dare do a normal jogging type run, training yeah. run, just wearing pants. But for a race, I feel yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. So, uh, but obviously, I was the only one of either team wearing you know wearing racing pants. And so, uh, and and they came like first of the of our women's team, and both our teams thrashed the U.S. Marine Corps teams. So um, yeah, I think kind of super pants kind of went with that sort of accolade. Brilliant. Brilliant, super pants. You're gonna you're gonna be known. You're gonna be known as that from now on. So. <laughs> oh, amazing! So, so obviously, soon after London, you 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 took a career change. I think you you mentioned earlier you left the navy. Um, um, you studied a bit and became uh, an interpreter. And I think it sounded like like the marathon running was still going strong then, because uh, you had um, the opportunity to challenge um, some of the special forces, which I mentioned earlier, um, to a half marathon in Marrakesh, which. Yeah, just like it's, I mean, it sounds so James Bond like, like I said earlier. I mean, and you actually beat it was all quite well. James Bond like, yeah, it was. No, in, in real life, it was. Um, and it, so, so that was before I left the Navy. So I had a time when I worked a bit with the special forces, kind of just the last my last couple of years of the Royal Navy, and then a time when I carried on doing a bit of uh, work with kind of uh, them and the commandos afterwards. I had a kind oh, okay. of bit of a transition period, but this was this is while I was still in the Navy. So yeah, well, so I was out there for a couple of months in uh, in uh, yeah Rabat. 
and uh, uh, yeah, and these, these big burly guys, I mean, they're absolutely amazing. And we used to train together in the gym and we used to go for little sort of runs around the local park. It's quite difficult running around there. It's not not ideal. Um, and as a woman, it's really difficult. You can get, you know, spat at or have thrown stone at you and stuff. Because obviously, especially if you go out in any kind of normal skimpy-ish running kit, which I always do because I just get way too hot and so um so yeah apparently uh, people thought that there was a kind of a you know that I was a star running with my um my bodyguards when we were out um and uh, the yeah and, and they just came uh, and then I found out there's this Marrakesh half marathon on during the time that we were out there and I said oh hey okay. guys let's let's go and do this so they they weren't really you know they're not actually runners they just run just for the fitness elements and they do lots of other stuff but um yeah they were up for it so that was pretty cool and um uh the yeah I beat them I beat them all so for the for the rest <laughs> of our you know couple of months stay out there with all the sort of you know we have uh, had quite a big you know social life with all the embassy and British council people and all the rest of it they had to, and obviously everyone got to hear the fact they'd all been beaten by this diminutive woman so they had to live that down for the, the rest of our time out there amazing but they did really but to be fair to them they did really well I mean obviously you know I was training reasonably hard at that stage I'd go and do stuff on the treadmill and stuff in the yeah. hotel that we were at so I was actually you know training a bit more than they were I was a lot light you know obviously a lot lighter I'm not you know all kind of muscle bound as they are and um you know for people who aren't actually you know as runners per se uh, they did amazingly plus the fact that they'd spent all nights uh, clubbing and drinking and had come back about two hours before the marathon started and ran it on no sleep so and hung yeah, over and like true. yeah the next one after me came in at 136 which yeah i think given all that i described is a pretty good time yeah, that's, that's and they all came in under 145 so yeah yes uh, amazing that's that, that's absolutely incredible and obviously the banter has got to come afterwards for sure like no matter uh, <laughs> it was it was such it was brilliant it was such fun yeah, no, yeah, no, but, no matter but, whether, you know, whether you win or lose it's always banter afterwards <laughs> exactly and I mean you know full respect to them you know, I, you know I beat them on that but you know actually what they do is absolutely amazing I have nothing but respect and awe for for the special forces and what they do yeah they were and it's an amazing experience working with them yeah amazing just absolutely mm. brilliant I mean, and, and yeah just remarkable ex- running experiences as well that you've had so it's just it's fantastic to hear about them. <laughs> uh, yeah so obviously so you um you've obviously become a wife and a mom which is amazing how is how is Paul doing by the way is he okay yeah yeah he's he's really well so he's he's uh four just over four now um and we're homeschooling him so that's a whole adventure so it's very very time consuming um uh but it's but we love it we enjoy it so we're not against school or anything it's just that um we both my husband and I uh both more or less work from home obviously I go off on assignments but they're okay. quite short term um and Jean works at home uh online and so uh so we both can do it so we thought yeah why not um we like spending mm. all the time with him even though obviously it's quite a quite a big constraint and is, so again yeah. makes makes running a bit harder because um he's too young to be able to be taken on runs yet well you, so, you say uh, that he's hit four so he would be eligible to take part or start taking part in in the junior park runs in, in really yeah wow oh well we might have to try him at that when we come over so uh, yeah we arrive in a couple of weeks time so yes brilliant brilliant actually that, mm. that's interesting to say because um obviously that partly why we why we put the show together because you've been on my list to, to contact for so long um but i thought it was great timing seeing as though you were going to be back in a few weeks so um so, yeah, so, so we'll definitely have to tell you where the local junior park run is which would be east knee junior park run which is right in yes park. 
Okay. And yeah, no, but that is, yes. Yeah, it's, it's such nice a good part. event because the it, it's obviously all volunteer run and the volunteers are fantastic with the children. Um, it's a it's a really nice kind of safe, fun running environment down there that the team do. And it's it's 1K. So it's just a one kilometer loop. Okay. Um, it's marshaled mm. all the way along the route and you can run with the kids or or you can just let them run on their own, which is which is great. Ah. So maybe Paul would be interested in going down there. Yes, that sounds really fun. Definitely have a go with that. I think he'd want me to run with him or me or his father. But yes, yeah, awesome, definitely. awesome. That, that's yes. great. So, so listen, uh, Jean, your husband does does running as well. So he's he he runs since uh, since meeting me. Yes, that's kind of most of my friends run. Either they were runners before, and that's how I met them, or since knowing me, they had to become runners. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Good work, and I think work. that many people have uh, have escaped that my mm. my kind of general enthusiasm encouragement to run. Um, so yeah. Jean is no exception. Uh, we met bouldering actually. Um, I had, had just started um, bouldering, and that's so we met in a climbing centre in London. Oh, and I was doing a lot of falling off the wall, so I was trying to do things that were a little bit too hard for me, getting a little bit technical. Okay. And uh, so he is very, yeah, handsome gentleman would come up and give me, uh, give me some, ad- you know, climbing advice. And then we got chatting, and I thought, oh, it's got a strange accent. And it took me a, a fair, a fair while to realise it's actually a French accent. So then I started speaking French to him, and when I speak French, I sound French. So then he was super confused as to whether it's French or English. And I think then he felt a bit stupid for the fact he'd been speaking to me in English with his okay. you know, okay. quite strong French accents all that time. Very amazing. So, uh, yeah, and then we haven't looked back. So yeah, two weeks later, he pretty much moved in with me, and we haven't left each other since. Oh, that's that's brilliant, and obviously, it's great that you guys kind of get to get to run together. And I guess you'll be both running at South Sea Park Run soon. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah, really looking forward to that. I love the park run events. That is something that I miss out in France. I think there are a few park runs in France, but not where not where we are. It's not as developed here. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I know it's an amazing, amazing event. I love and the fact that people volunteer to to do all the organisation because I can see it's quite a quite a business. It is. It's um yeah, it's quite enough. And obviously, with all the challenges around COVID and stuff, and bringing the events back has been really difficult for the teams. Yeah. But um, yes. you know, it's all seems to be kind of kicking back into life which is great it's nice to have it back in south sea it really is and it makes yes. such a such a difference to a lot of runners um, definitely well actually yeah. now i think back of it that's how i got back into running after you know i said i had that sort of year and a half of not running at all because of the birth injuries um yes. the park run is i obviously did a you know a few runs on my own and stuff you know first to sort of see how it would go and i remember that was the starting the park run uh was was the first thing that sort of brought back that that fun you know talking about that competitive um fun element yes, um that's yeah. what that's what kind of just brought that joy of running back to me uh, which i might not have had otherwise actually come to think of it so mm-hmm. yeah oh, yes. amazing there you go so park run park run it was brilliant <laughs> so so um, part of the journey you now have behind you and and obviously you're also ahead of you as well what running goals have you got left that you that you'd like to achieve oh uh none, <laughs> none. just being able to keep <laughs> I feel like my my actual serious or like proper running days are behind me. Um, I know I'm only 41, so that shouldn't shouldn't be the end. But I have had, you know, all my health issues have taken their toll, and my body's yeah. not what it used to be by you know a long shot. Um, and so and uh, so really, I suppose now it's just um, one staying alive, uh, two uh, being able to just keep that ticking over as at least a minimum um keep that going i would i always thought that i'd run all my life and it's only the last couple of years or the last maybe the last year actually yeah since january since my back problem so that's the thing yeah. we haven't touched on yet kicked off where it looked like 
gosh, running really is in the balance. I might not be able to run. I used not to be able to think of any one thing that would ever stop me running apart from dying. Um, yeah. So, you know, people run without legs. So, you know, I thought, well, what, what could ever stop me? Um, but yeah, it turns out I've got this back deformity, which has started to play up um, and it's asymmetrical. So I'm kind of semi-fused down one side. And while I was younger, that was kind of, it gave me all sorts of, so that was always, the marathon was always my limit. I always basically fell to pieces, you know, pretty much bang on 26.2 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know not, know why now. Um, it's because of because of that. It causes me uh, like um, uh, contractures in my hip and stuff because my body doesn't like this as- asymmetry. Um, and okay. I could be operated on to make me symmetrical, but then I'd be completely fused. And uh, I'm getting collecting different opinions as to whether how advisable that is what the the risk benefits um balance of that is and it's it's a tough one anyway i'm i'm better than i was a good few months ago i'm feeling more optimistic about being able to now just carry on whatever the question is how much like how much mileage my body will withstand uh, i've also got damaged discs caused by this deformity because it causes excessive wear and tear on the on the back and so uh, okay. i've got five herniated discs um so that's yeah not and and so i did read this article which i think i sent to you a while back it actually said that um people think that running is bad for your discs that it you know compresses them and and causes wear and tear but this article actually was a piece of research very solid um it's been published in like a affiliate of nature so it's you know good stuff is um it basically said no what they find is in people who do kind of uh moderate running and they looked uh, up to a group who did 50 kilometers um plus per week and basically the more running you do uh the the fatter your discs up to okay. a certain point they didn't say where that limit was but certainly the group which did the best in their study were the group who did more than 50 kilometers a week at a kind of decent club running style pace um again the faster you run uh, the more impact and that pushes you beyond that that kind of sweet spot but uh, yeah. that was really encouraging for me to hear but whether that applies when you've got damaged discs that have lost their core and that are herniated or not I don't quite know so again it's one of those cases where the research isn't out there I'm kind of just I'm just running the best I can and trying to sort of navigate my way through it and and hope that anyway in any case even if it is actually accelerating the wear and tear on my back I think I want to keep on running too bad about the future i'll have to stop you know if i have to stop one day i have to stop but at least i will yeah. have kept it going as long as i possibly can so sorry that's a very long-winded way of answering the question about um running goals okay, um, okay. So, yeah. i'd love to one day go back and do a half marathon uh, not not like a one to stretch my time or whatever just do a half marathon in a maybe a decent enough time i do actually enjoy running at a fairly kind of swiftish pace mm-hmm. um that's where that i have like a sweet spot sp- pace that I, I i like to aim at but um obviously you know that takes training and i'm not able to put the training in at the moment so yeah, we'll yeah. I, I, I know that pace you mean it's like it's like not like racing pace but it's not slow pace it's just yeah it's like a tempo yeah. run pace i quite like yeah. and, and and it's and you know that you sort of uh and under race conditions just to kind of push yourself so i wouldn't necessarily do that on mine just as a training run but a kind of an actual race where i'm actually going running out you know as, as hard as I can for 30 miles but without it at any point feeling that sense of absolute all that misery if you know what I mean I don't want ever to feel that ever again and I used to feel that a lot mm. in both in training and, and in some of the races 
Okay. You running used to be a bit of a, there are times in my life when it definitely ruled my life and it was the wrong way round. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've, you've kind of conquered that and you, you know what it's like now to run for you and for your health and for your sanity and stuff. So I think once you find that, um, it's difficult to let go of that, I think. And, and it's not just yourself I've spoken to about that kind of topic as well. There's lots of other runners out there, lots of friends I run with who, you know, in a similar way have have either injured themselves or been through something in, in their life. And they've now found this, this, like you say, this Goldilocks zone or sweet spot of running that is all about them yes. and just enjoyment and, and everyone else around them as well, which is, which is great. Yeah. I mean, in a way I've never I've enjoyed running so much. And, you know, this is after in the space of 18 months, I had two major ops. So I had the melanoma op, which is, yeah, you know, neither here nor there, yeah. but um, I had like a four and a half hour op for my, uh, to have my, kidney tumor removed and then another um, five hour op um, to re repair all my birth injuries with tons of mesh and that's all attached to my back and that's what kicked off the back problems which I'd been just about you know had been managing until then yes. yeah. so yeah it's one of those things so it's been an intense kind of 18 months running wise with a lot of moments and I thought oh will I ever run again so the fact that I'm beginning to think that I will be able to keep running is like oh this is amazing <laughs> love it so much Oh, brilliant. I'm, I'm just, you know, there's a theme through this, through this whole kind of story we've been through. And I, and I know that there's lots of detail we we haven't touched on because we, we can't due to time. But the th I think the theme is that, you know, running, like you said earlier, has just been there for you, like, like a good friend, it's kind of helped helped pull you through a lot of dark times. And I, I really hope that kind of continues on and you can get back to the running, you know, just just in the place you, you like it, where you're just running for the enjoyment. And hopefully you get to hit that half marathon um, as well. Soon. Fingers crossed. Yes, yeah, I'd really like to do really that. Good. I wouldn't aim for anything longer or more than that. I don't think my body would take it, but um, that would just be just be nice. And it was always a distance I liked, I enjoyed most before. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, Zoe, where mm -hmm. can people find you on any kind of social media channels, just in case anybody li listening to this um, has something related or something they want to discuss with oh, you? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Facebook. Um, I don't really do anything else, but Facebook is good. I, I do have an Instagram account, but I look at it maybe once every three months. Um, and I don't okay. really know how to use it. So okay. but Facebook, I'm quite often on. Oh, uh, or Strava, if anyone can find me on Strava. But, of um, course, yes, the Strava as well. We mentioned that earlier. So Zoe, yes. Zoe Daligoltz, obviously you'll, you'll be able to get your name as I spell it on uh, on the show notes and stuff. So yeah, do, yes. do get in touch with Zoe if you've got any questions. And Zoe, you obviously know the show. So you know that I always finish with um, a few recovery run questions. Uh -huh. um, our quick fire questions just to kind of finish off the show. So you're happy to uh, to answer some of those? Yes. I'll tell you what, just I'll take, if it's okay to take 20 seconds, say add two things. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Please, yeah? please do. Okay. One, um, I haven't mentioned um, the coach uh, who coached me, the, the Royal Navy coach, Di Roberts, um, who coached me for the uh, the London Marathon I ran uh, representing the Navy. And he was absolutely amazing. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of add him and he's he's uh he lived a long time in Portsmouth and uh yeah he's obviously a navy guy so he's he's very linked to Portsmouth and although he he's not living there any at the moment um yeah. he's, he's kind of very much part of it all and then um and actually linked to him is something that he he um an approach to training which I found was fantastic which he advised was to alternate easy days with hard days 
Um, and like a long run, even if it's run at a slow pace, counts as a hard day. And obviously anything to do with interval training or tempo runs, those are all hard. And for me, that was really, really key and made a huge difference, um, has made a huge difference ever since, um, ever since that time, um, because it avoids kind of that mental burnout of going out every single time to thrash oneself. Um, mm. And it keeps that enjoyment of running going. Um, which is really key because you know, psychologically I found that really powerful. So I just kind of wanted to add that in somewhere. I didn't quite know where to uh, put that. No, no, brilliant. Do, that, well, do you know what? I, I was actually going to give you a chance to to add any kind of final last words and thank you. Ah, so, but I'm, I'm well, there we go. That's you. done now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that's brilliant. It's, it's really it's really important, isn't it, to mention the people that have kind of helped us along the journey and especially yeah. something like that. You know, somebody's given you some advice there or a little bit of help that's really stuck with you and just that, that gold nugget of information you've taken with you is, is super important Absolutely. as well. Also. And, you know, and also he's always been there for me since. So obviously the official coaching as it were ended uh, with, that, with that London Marathon in 2008, but it, we've been in touch and even quite recently um, has given me advice and you know, I've sent him some videos of me running and he's helped me sort of troubleshoot and stuff. And it's really nice knowing that there's someone, someone out there and someone who's a role model as well, because he, he's now retired from the Navy and I'm not quite sure what age he is, but you know, he's mm-hmm. still running really well um and i think oh if i can and he really enjoys it that's the other thing he's just really exudes that enjoyment of it so i think if i can be like him when i get to that age that'd be super cool does die have um die roberts have a, a coaching business that he that he uses <laughs> He does now, yes. He's he's in the, he's in the states um, because he was doing NATO jobs, and he ex- ended up um, he loved being in the states, so he ended up extending, extending, extending um, his his job um, with NATO. So yeah, he does have a coaching business, but not in the UK. Okay, does he? Um, he obviously takes on remote remote. Um... Oh, that's a point. I hadn't thought about that. Probably, yeah. I should think so. Yes, yeah, I've certainly he's he's again he's another guy you can find on face definitely on Facebook. Um, Okay, probably on i think on instagram as well yeah and on strava so Excellent. it's yeah. just you never know who's listening and who might want to want to yes. look, look die up and uh and you know see what see what coaching opportunities are because i know totally. people people always do ask me about coaching and and what coaches are out there so you know i've got, got a few people in mind now having met through this podcast and stuff that i that i push people towards so always of great course, to mention yes that. yeah brilliant. hadn't thought of that okay zoe here we go so recovery run questions uh what shoes are you currently running in Oh, hokers. <laughs> Thanks oh, to you. Zoe. <laughs> for the first time for like ever since I was 16 or 17 when I got my first pair of uh, yeah, shoes given to me. Uh, they were Asics. And then and then you just nudged me into, oh, okay, I'll give this a go. And they are great. And I really, really appreciate the cushioning they give me now because of my back. So yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I'll stick with and, and which now, model? Even though I like my oh gosh, the one that I can't remember what they're called, the one which gives stability, the stability shoes. The Arahi. Yep. That's right. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Brilliant. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite run or route in Portsmouth or, or around the Portsmouth area that you enjoy doing or, or one that you're going to enjoy getting back to? Yes. I love doing the entire seafront, sea um, going all the way to Langston Harbour, right to the ferry end, and then all the way up um, to into Old Portsmouth and kind of at that pub at the end and back again. Excellent. That's, and stop, stop for a yes. quick point. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's never, not, not, yeah. Pints and running. I uh, like both, but separately. Brilliant. brilliant I also brilliant. like that you can you can run all the way around the islands. Um, but as actual, yeah, but that's that comes second. Favourite is the one I mentioned. Excellent. Have you got a running book, film, uh, or even like a podcast recommendation to the listeners that, that you've enjoyed yourself that you can share? 
Uh, apart from yours, <laughs> oh, of course. Well, that, that goes uh, so yours, yeah, yours. Uh, it doesn't have to be running themed, or just the podcast one might enjoy listening yeah. to whilst on the you run. Know what? It doesn't matter. Running themed or not, anything, anything okay. inspiring or anything that you've read so, recently that you've enjoyed. Totally non-running themed, but a podcast called Radio Lab, and uh, so it's American. They do some weird and wonderful topics. Some of them are just a bit too American. You have to be American to be interested in them. But okay. among them are some really incredibly interesting subjects and it's very well put together uh, uh, very vivacious um, quite sort of uh, yeah it's difficult to describe but it's yeah. it's captivating and it's just the right length for a decently long run brilliant radio lab there you go and you know, you know what you never know when you're listening to non-related running kind of topics that actually sometimes they give you a bit of information that can kind of be I guess tra- oh absolutely or- and this one there's one uh that I uh, done on yeah absolutely this it, it quite often happens um but and it's, they do quite a few scientific types which i always like listening to popular yeah. science um and uh and so there's always something usually in the science aspect which relates to can relate to running and there's one specifically on the indian athlete called duty uh which um brought up the whole issue of gender in running and how you actually distinguish between male and female runners and i'd never thought that would be difficult well it turns out it really is we're not talking about like gender identity uh, that's not that it, we're talking it's literally purely biologically so oh, okay. of course you know it's very important to separate out men and women in competition because obviously the, you know, the performances are so different and, you know, no women would ever win, you know, anything next to the best men in the world. And so, so obviously, you know, everyone agrees that you need to separate them out. Actually, it turns out that, uh, that all sorts of interesting biological variants um, that can that, that make you think, well, gosh, actually, what is the criterion that, that you use? Because okay. actually, you know, yeah, having some sort of male type characteristics as a woman can give you, you know, an advantage compared to women who don't have that, but you're still a woman. Um, yeah. But then, you know, actually maybe being tall, having longer legs is also an advantage. So should you say that all people who you know have longer legs should be uh, taken out of the competition because it's an unfair advantage, just like you might say all women who have say testosterone above a certain level should be taken out of the competition it's, yeah, it's really tricky and and does it really give you an advantage and that's the other thing they used to assume they would assume that testosterone did give you an advantage until recently when they done more research and it's not at all clear cut it gives you an advantage for middle distance but not for sprint and not for long distance so oh. it's like it's all over the place but that there's a radio lab um podcast all about that uh, yeah it's quite a recent one and it was fascinating and there's lots of sports science in there well, that could be that could be a topic um, debated for for days. I think, which would be um, absolutely yeah fascinating to listen to. So with yeah. all sorts of different opinions, but I uh, know brilliant, excellent. Thanks for the recommendation there. Um, a favorite post race snack or treat? Oh, uh, gosh, mm, no, don't have any. I tend to feel nauseous after I've run really hard. <laughs> really? So, yeah. <laughs> what would you have? So, what, would you, what would you have if you race? Would you have pill. an evening? Anything? Anything you'd 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 prefer to snack on in the evening oh no not even then no i tend to be off my food for quite a while actually yeah yes yeah no and and then by the time it comes back i'm just like back to normal so what about fueling yourself for a run so i haven't had to do that for a long time because we're talking like a a bit more sort of more serious running here uh but I used to just do the, you know, the classic, um, you know, carb loading thing. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing special. But mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure there's lots more science and lots more gone into it since then. But you know, my days of running seriously were kind of ten years ago now. So, 
Brilliant. Okay, excellent. Um, so, listen. Finally, any last words on the running community here in Portsmouth, or even there with you in the south of France, that you would like to end with, or any last final thoughts or comments? So, this was going to be your chance to kind of mention anybody, but you've done that already. But yeah, fi- final thoughts <laughs> yeah. or comments from you. So, no, I think that's it. Apart from, yeah, Portsmouth as a running community, I think we're really fortunate because what's nice is that pretty much everyone does that same, at least everyone on some kind of run in Portsmouth takes in that seafront stretch. And so uh, there's always that in common. And I think especially since Park Run as well, um, that's kind of brought everyone together. And yeah, there seems to be this definite community in Portsmouth that I've not found elsewhere maybe to do with being an island as well anyways something quite special and also thanks to you for um you know your podcast which is helping bring you know kind of make the most of that community oh very kind of you to say thank you but honestly with with, without without my guests it would just be a pod it wouldn't be a podcast (laughs) there would be nothing to it (laughs) i'm sure you could just carry on talking about running just in the abstract i'm sure runners can always just go on and on and on about running forever so i'm sure that would be quite good to listen to as well (laughs) that is that is true i think sometimes dave and i do do that a little bit too much in our introductions but anyway we um, oh no i like those i like those (laughs) so (laughs) listen thanks so so much for joining us on the show and um and for opening up and talking about some some topics there that you know sometimes i guess maybe in the past have been difficult to, to speak about i really appreciate all your honesty and and you know not not feeling like you're exposing yourself too much and i think it's it's great that we can have these these discussions openly and, and share this information so um yeah so it was a real pleasure get, pleasure getting you on and and discussing all your stories and experiences um yeah and just um, all your persistence in in your research and um, all the operations you've been through and how that's all kind of all coming positive at the end and i'm so pleased about your news today as well that's brilliant so i'm going to see you in a couple of weeks um love to the family and look forward to running with you at south sea park run very soon fantastic and thank you and look forward to seeing you too soon okay take care. <laughs> all the best bye <laughs>